Hey everybody, how's it going? It's Friday night. It has uh, been a long week and uh, it's Mark and Dave from Tone Talk. I hope you're doing great. We've got an awesome guest tonight. Uh, I've been excited for this. Uh, this is our first show for 2020. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody, by the way. And um, it's Lee Jackson from Metaltronics. Lee, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, thank you for joining us that's uh it's a pleasure um dave how are you i'm good i think uh maybe maybe i've recovered from nam no you nam thrax you, you can get your nam thrax uh, uh oh i got a little of it my wife got the worst of it though oh, uh, no. uh i had a little of it. it wasn't too bad though i was pretty much pounding vitamin c the whole time so uh it's kind of that, mandatory at the nam show that i mean kinda, that kind of helped yeah you know I've been going to the damn show a lot of years, and you know this keeps getting worse. This this virus problem. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm getting older. No, everyone's getting more sick than they used to. No, well, I I got one of those uh, one of those hand sanitizer things I'd hang from my belt because yeah. everybody's shaking your hand, and I yeah, you know, I just didn't ever wanted to get it, the sickness. Yeah, you know, I found that that doesn't seem to do anything. Uh, I've I've had years where I did that the whole time and still got sick. It, it, it's in the air. <laughs> it's all around us. Well, I know I noticed especially this year that people tend to spit when they talk. I don't know why that is. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe I do it also, and I'm just guilty of it as well. But I I noticed that at Nam, and I was kind of like, whoa, that's probably how you get sick. <laughs> you get a welder's helmet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always said I always had this idea we should we should all wear a little um, you know um, little masks with a little skull and crossbones on them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. well, I talked I talked to a couple artists this week and they were saying that they literally because they're so scared about this new virus that they're wearing goggles and masks on the plane. So it's like mm. they must look it must look great, you know, when you go on a plane right now. Well, scare the living crap out of people. I've, <laughs> I've What's seen- wrong with him? I've seen people. I just traveled this this week up to Boston and out of Boston, and I saw a lot of people wearing masks. Yeah, I well, I could see why. I mean, there there the communicability is like what two weeks. I mean, that's yeah, a, yeah. that's that's frightening. It's frightening. So yeah, um, yeah, it's, I, it could be. I think it's you know i've talked to several artists that are like they're, they're scared to death to travel i mean it's it's kind of like freezing up that whole experience yeah i can imagine that that is definitely hindering and plus they're they're starting to limit travel to certain places right yeah that's true so, well at least we're, we're we're safe in our <laughs> in our little cocoons right in a little cocoon right <laughs> for at least for right now i hope um so uh well good how's dina doing is she feeling better dave uh yeah she'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) all right good i'm glad i like stop your whining uh yeah well i i become a baby too how'd you how'd you think uh nam went this year i i didn't go because i was back building stuff because i had orders to fill but i didn't get a chance to go this year uh nam was great for us it was uh it was uh we we, you know we have we we have a very crowded booth you know we're right we're the you know company du jour so so to speak for that kind of thing and uh you know it's we 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 always we have a good time it's fun 
No, it is. It is. Having successful NAM shows is fun. I, yeah. Uh, uh, the only, the only, one of the things I used to love to do was take the crew to Disneyland afterwards. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and nowadays it's ridiculous how much they're charging at Disneyland to get people in. Take know. the crew to Disneyland. That'll be $5,000, please. No, I, absolutely. But what I used to do is I would do it on, on Saturday night and then I'd, buy them all ears and i'd force them to come saturday or sunday at nam wearing their ears you know oh i like that you know you know try to get that unity going you know with everybody yeah i like that, that they, they were you know they were good sports you know it wasn't so bad you know like i used to i used to do that uh back in 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 the middle early metal trunks days i would do that uh, one minute manager thing where on wednesdays i would you know talk to the whole crew and and I would say, you know, you, you've got the most fun job in the world. If you ever wake up and don't want to come to work, please quit. Because how rough is it to build amps all day? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. we're, you know, working with all these different rock stars that were coming in, in and out all day. It's like, how rough could this be, you know? Yeah, yeah, you could be a lot. You could do a lot worse. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. Come on. So when I when we went to to Nam, you know, going to Disneyland was kind of part of the thing because I like Disneyland. Yeah. Well, I, and plus, I can only imagine after four days of Nam, then going to Disney World. I'm not sure, Disneyland. I'm not sure I could do it. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I'd rather just yeah. Well, you know. At but least you know what? If you like Disneyland, I know people that love Disneyland. And, oh, yeah. uh, and 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 that's good for them. <laughs> it's not it's not my favorite place on earth. <laughs> um, but my wife loves it. My wife. But that's she, okay. Yeah. That's okay because yeah. I, I don't have to go if I don't want to. <laughs> it's, it's not to go on a tangent, but it's just so crowded now. It's not fun. Yeah, um, I agree. You know the whole idea of paying all that and then getting on three rides for being there ten hours and. Uh, yeah, that's that's not the place. But back when we were doing this, it actually actually during Nam show it was like the down period of Disneyland. So it used to be pretty light. You know, we would go and and you would be able to get in and get around and actually go and enjoy the rides. But yeah, that, you know. I agree with you. I agree. But not not to go down the Nam thing, but Nam was a lot different though too in in the eighties. Oh uh, yeah. It was. Well, yeah. I didn't experience. I didn't experience it to probably like eighty seven. So, um, so I, I got in on the tail end of that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was definitely an interesting place. When did, um, when did you start please, going? Uh, please, uh, hold on one second, please. Sure. I like that ring. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, uh, anyway, when did I start going to now? Yeah. Uh, actually, I started going to Nam. God, you're going to age me now. In <laughs> 1976, because I wow. uh, was a guitar player, and there was a local music store that I bought gear from, and I just really wanted to uh, <clears throat> to experience this thing called the Nam Show. And uh, what was really, it was kind of the beginning. The the Nam Show was the beginning of me actually, uh, not, you know starting to modify gear and why that happened is back in 76 all the 
company owners and the engineers and everybody used to be in the booths. It wasn't so like protected like it is now in the sense of you only have key people in the booth at any time. But back in the late seventies, early, you know, mid seventies, late seventies, you know, I, you know, obviously as kids at that time, you know, we were all enamored by Marshall, you know, it was like Marshall. Mm. And uh, I actually had gotten my first Marshall in 76, I think, uh, as a guitar player. And, uh, I remember going to the, uh, Marshall booth and, uh, not only Jim Marshall was there, but their engineers were there. Right. And, uh, I remember going up and talking to one of them and telling them about what I was looking for on my Marshall. I was going, you know, I, 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 you know, you, you didn't realize, you know, I was looking for a sound. And I actually met the guy that was that had was had done like Jimi Hendrix's amps and worked on his. And I was like, yeah, I like because I was a big Jimi Hendrix fan. I said, I love this, you know, but the amp that I've got, I think it was it was like a 76 JMP that I had. And um, uh, I I, uh, was like, I want something different from it. And I guess I asked the right questions because this guy wrote down my address and he marked up a schematic and mailed it to me. Hmm. And I still have that schematic. I framed it because I found it a couple of years ago. And that started me on my route. I started going in and making the changes that he had sent me. And it kind of was the bug of, of starting to see that I could make changes to this thing that and made it sound more and more like I want it to sound. And, uh, that's why I kept going back to Nam, and I'd go in the next year, go look for that guy and say, "Hey, yeah, look at I, I, I saw what you said. You know, what? How would I change this?" And he, you know, he, for a couple of years he was there, and then I never saw him again. But for those times that I did, he helped me out. And you remember his name? I don't. I oh, don't remember wow. his name. That's so cool. Sorry about that. No, that's that's I, fine. No. That's that was too many. That was too many brain cells ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can understand but, and yeah, relate. But yeah, that was a that was a big start because um, I, uh, I I right out of high school I pretty much started playing professionally and started. I was in bands that we played the whole Hollywood circuit up and down the Sunset Strip and and. Uh, all you know, the whiskey and the Roxy and the you know Troubadour and Starwood and all those kind of things, and mm -hmm. that was how I cut my teeth because I I kept tweaking my stuff, you know, playing live, tweaking it, playing, and uh, we became more and more popular band, and and that's really how um, as time progressed, I started seeing in the audience. A, a lot of the famous uh, artists that I later built stuff for, because they they heard about this band, they heard about a sound, right? And um, they would start coming to the shows. I'd see them in the audience. They didn't come up to me, but I started recognizing these people in the audience. And uh, it wasn't until much later on that uh, uh, George Lynch uh, uh, approached me mm. and was like, uh, I, I want that sound. And I was at first I was like, no, 
that's okay. That's me. It's my stuff, you know. And that was kind of the way it was in Hollywood at the time. Everybody had their thing, right? Mm -hmm. They had their effects they used. Everything was hidden. You put you'd put a box over it, right? It's like no, because because everybody thought that that was their you know um, angle against the others. And uh, finally, you know, as everybody knows, if you don't have hit songs. You're basically sleeping in the rehearsal room, right? That's <laughs> true. And it was and it was George Lynch that finally kept saying, "Look, I, I want you to do uh, a Marshall for me," and uh, he finally talked me into it. So I built him one, and that's under lock and key, and that's that that was the launch for me uh, worldwide, uh, doing the under lock and key album, and uh, that I literally. Uh, we used a 100-watt and a 50-watt, and I literally was in the amps tweaking them between the songs. I had the chassis open, flipped on top of the 412s, and we were doing tweaks along the way while he was working on the album. And, uh, hmm. you know, didn't have any idea that it was going to be that big of an album. Um, it, it, it literally was the launch for me. Um, yeah, well, that was a great, great tone that was on that record. Yeah, and... It, yeah, we went. From, I went from my bedroom, my bedroom, working on amps to getting a shop, having you know twelve people. Because what would happen is um, UPS would show up. Well, people would contact us ahead of time and tell you know they just it was really easy. They wanted that mod. It was there wasn't like um, asking for a bunch of different stuff. They wanted that, so we had a set price. And one of the it, well, one of the cool things is at the time I was working with Aspen Pittman, and I um, he would every week come down with a, a car full of tubes. So it was part the mod and the tubes because I didn't want to deal with tubes. I was like, you're not going to send me your old nasty tubes because I'm not going to sit there and modify it and then and then send it back to you and they fail because. Yeah. Bad set of tubes. So I'd say semi amp, no tubes. And then part of the mod is you get a brand new set of tubes and the mod. And uh, they were, they come in, I'm not kidding you, like 10 heads a day. And I'd have people that would unpack them, mark them, you know, and I'd have the next guy literally ripping all the parts out because we ripped them down to the empty chassis. And then another person would drill the holes and put all the stuff in. And then it would finally get to me, which I would do all the final tweaks and, and you know, sign them and finalize them, and then they'd go get packed. But that was a inter interesting time. That was a fun time. Wow, yeah, that sounds like, that's, yeah, the heyday of mods, right? It Well, it, well, it really was because there was, I, I just started realizing, there was two of us, right? It was me and Jose, right? Yep. The, we were the two guys in Hollywood. Um and it was really interesting because a lot of times when we worked with an artist, if there was two guitar players, one would play my stuff and the other one would play Jose's stuff. And it was actually a really good blend, like Rat, Invasion Your Privacy. You know, I built Warren's stuff, you know, and, and, and you know, the, the, their, that sound was a really cool blend of, of using two different kinds of amplifiers on the albums, you know. Um, another... It, it, that whole that whole thing started off, you know, first, uh, like, obviously it was George. But as soon as I started doing George's stuff, 
that kicked it off, right? Because what an exciting time. I mean, literally, I I started off with one employee, and we would, you know, go and talk about, you know, how fun it would be to work with this artist or work with that artist. And the phone would ring, and he would pick it up, and he'd be talking to somebody, and he'd point at it and, and look at me and go, it's them. Like, we had just talked about somebody, and then they called, and... Every week, there was, that whole period during the 80s, every week we were getting called and working on the next, you know, big album. I mean, from Dawkins to Rat to, you know, David Lee Roth, Steve Vai, you know, it was like it just kept going. You know, uh, the the list of, of artists that we were working with just kept growing, growing, growing. I remember then we got, you know, Ozzy with Zach and, and uh, you know, it was, every week was a was an interesting not only an interesting time but we got to be in the studio with them and and uh um work with them to get you know th- th- what was really nice is is what i learned it was if the artist was approaching me they were sweet and nice mm-hmm. and we worked on a great uh personal relationship because i learned the wrong way is if I approached an artist, then there was this attitude. If I wanted to show them something like some artist like that I, know, that I wanted to work with, if I went and contacted them and said, hey, I've got this amp I want you to try out, there was always this weird kind of you know protective thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they approached me, it was always a really... Uh, you know, hey, let's have fun. Let's let, let's you know do something interesting and... and uh, Create create something new for you that's you know going to be memorable and uh, I uh, I don't you know I'll tell you one story was was kind of fun uh, uh, I had worked with Vixen you know that band that girl band I worked with them too <laughs> yeah exactly well back when when uh, when uh, Knuman was the guitar player back yeah in, Jan yeah yeah Jan the early days mm-hmm. and um, because the bass player. They they knew Steve Vai right and and uh, Steve was getting ready to do uh, Eat Him and Smile and uh, so I get a call from Steve and he's like uh, I I I need your help and I said good yeah you know you you can come on down and we'll 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 talk about it and you know build you some stuff he goes no I don't <laughs> I don't have any time. I need something you need to bring it over like today. I said I don't have anything. We build everything to build you, you, you know, you bring us stuff and we tear it apart and build it. And he's like, no, no, no. He goes, you don't understand. I, 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 I need this right now. I said, okay. I said, well, are you in the studio? He goes, yes, I'm in the studio right now. I said, okay. I said, what I can do is I can go home and get my personal amplifiers that are mine and I'll bring them to the studio. So he said, yes, please do. So we grabbed cabinets I, I grabbed a couple employees. We ran to my house, grabbed these amps, grabbed the cabinets, and we went out to, to the studio. And when we show up, there's you know Ted Templeman and David Lee Roth and Steve I, and they're all standing there. And and we bring the stuff. The crew brings the stuff in. We set up the cabinets. We set up the heads. And at the time, I was making even a splitter, this little splitter unit that would split the audio to the two two amplifiers. And I. We hooked that up, and 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 they're sitting there with their arms like this, staring at me, you know, while this is going on. Like, you know, that whole, you know, 
impress me, you know, kind of thing. And I could see uh, Steve was nervous. And anyway, we got it all hooked up and I get the guitar cord and I hand it to Steve and he plugs in and they're staring at him too. And now he starts playing, you know, one of the songs that's going to be on the album, right? And I'm wondering how the response is. And all of a sudden, David Lee jumps up and he's just like, yes, yes. And I'm I'm not exaggerating. He pulls a wad of cash out of his pocket and he starts passing money out to my crew. Not to me, but to my crew going, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um and and it was because they were they couldn't get a sound with those carvings. Sorry, they couldn't get the sound they were looking for for that album. And uh, this was killing. And you heard the "Eat Him and Smile." And that's those are my amps, just mic'd up, you know. And he used he used my stuff to finish the album. And then by the time he was they were done, I had all of his stuff modified and ready to go for the "Eat Him and Smile" tour. But um, it was fun. It was fun. David was really fun. Um, they invited me down to, to the Long Beach Arena because they rehearsed for a week before the show and, and uh, got to hang out with them. And um, one last thing about that that was really interesting is I was hanging um, with Billy and and uh, and Steve and David wasn't around. And this is early on. They're both young. Right. And they've got these excited, you know, smiles in their face and they're going, we're we're in Van Halen, <laughs> you know, because I, I remember them going. We just saw Van Halen, you know, a couple of years ago. You know, it's like they felt they were like the new Van Halen, and it was it was fun to see them being big kids, right? Not the, when you see people up there acting like you know they're the the player, you know. Right. Well, they. I mean, that was an exciting time because you know, of course, Van Halen was still going. Or I think around right. the time with Sammy, and then Dave came out with "Eat Him and Smile," you know, and everybody was like, you know, it was just he was, com- competing they, bands. They were killing it. I mean, that yeah. was a it's a good band. I mean, it was Steve was playing really well, and Billy, you know, the Monster Drummer, that whole band was, and and David was on his game at that time too. I mean, it was. I agree. You know, I remember one one of the afternoons, David grabbed me and pulled me into the, he had a, a uh, uh, his like area that he, like one of the rooms he had tricked out for himself. And it had a big sound system that he had built in there. And he goes, here, check this out. And I said, okay. And he goes, look what I did. And he had, we, he had re-recorded, I mean, he left all the instrument stuff, but he had re-recorded the whole Eat Him and Smile album in Spanish. And he goes, I'm selling to the Spanish market. And it was all in Spanish. It was all the same music. but I remember that. He sang it in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. Way o loco instead of, you know. You know it was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was great. It's not, it's not a bad idea, actually. No, he said it was, he had looked at the demographic and it was so huge and nobody was marketing to it. And he said, I just had to learn it all in Spanish and, re, you know, redo it and but uh, that's anyway. Uh, so take us, if you don't mind, Lee. How did how did you even get into electronics? Was it just because of the sound situation that you wanted to change the sound, or was it? Does it go for even further back than that? I well, as a kid, I, I you know it was wild. Um, 
my dad was a, was a television repairman. And, well, actually, if you really want to get back to my family, um, they had, there, was two, there was two businesses, and one of them was a, uh, do you remember that movie Hairspray where they spun albums and mm-hmm. that people hung out and they'd listen to music and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Well, um, there was Jackson Records, and it was in, it was in Los Angeles. And it was one of those places that the, you know, I was really little. I mean, uh, there's a picture somewhere with me in a tricycle. That's how little I was during that period of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, so they spin albums. And then my dad had a, a, an adjoining business where he had a electronics television repair shop type of thing. And I, I was always intrigued into taking things apart. And I would take stuff apart all the time just to see how it ticked, right? I, I mean, sometimes blowing it up, you know, but sometimes I'd actually take it apart, put it back together, and it worked, you know, as, as a little kid. So when I, when I progressed as wanting to be a guitar player and, of course, started getting my first Tiesco Del Rey little amplifier that, you know, uh, I blew it up. You know, because I didn't know what, I didn't know what I was doing, and uh, I, and the other thing, what I started doing was at that time in school, they used to have these these uh, old timey tube uh, record players. You know, where they had like a extension speaker that came off the top, and if you cranked those up and plugged, it had an instrument input into it. They actually rocked. I mean, you could they actually distorted, and uh, so I started just tinkering with that stuff, you know, and, you know, progressing as a guitar player. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I was around electronics. I, you know, it, it, it's something that came naturally to me. Um, it was, it, it, it made sense. I, that's the best way I can explain it. I mean, I did do some schooling, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't any really intense, training but it but i did enough that i learned what the components did and how they worked and you know and and what i was doing and then um early on you know and and then my career as a musician kept going you know because i played started recording albums doing that kind of stuff so i like i said i i wanted to improve because you know stock equipment when i started playing guitar it didn't do what we have now i mean you know it was pretty you you either had to flatten everybody in the first three rows Mm -hmm. by turning it up right um you couldn't play at a moderate level you used to throw like blankets over stuff and to try to not hurt everybody in the clubs Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah i so early on um i met uh well actually I started working on my pedal board because I had a pretty elaborate pedal board for that that era on the when I played on Sunset, and I started. I heard about this thing called a buffer, right? Like, oh, you need a buffer, and 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 the only guy in town that handmade them was Paul Rivera. Yep. And he worked buff over five or buff four or whatever it was. No, 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 no. Way before that. No, 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 no. We're talking when Paul worked in a little uh, part of uh, that music store on Van Nuys. Not in Van Nuys. On. Um, uh, 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 oh, what what was that? It was a guitar store. It was over Van on. Arts. 
Valley Arts. When he yep. worked in Valley Arts, he was upstairs in Valley Arts. And I heard about this guy. He was the, the guy, right? And um, he, I, so I go up to Valley Arts and I said, I need a, this thing called a buffer. And he goes, I'll, I'll make you a couple. So he handmade me these things with wires coming off them. And I remember going back and putting these things in my pedal board and, you know, and, and it made it better, right? And uh, um, so then uh, I knew about Paul, right? So, and Paul is the first, really, Paul's the first guy that kind of is known as the modding guy in Hollywood. Yeah. And because uh, he, he had earlier worked with uh, Randy from uh, Mesa Boogie. Uh, they have some early time together, but so to, so if you want to move the story quickly, basically um, I started becoming friends with Paul. Paul's then moved to his home where he started branching off, working with big artists, right? Doing his fender mods and, and working on pedal boards and doing all this stuff. And his thing grew too large that he hired me to help him. And I was part of the original Rivera research was me and Paul and two benches, me and him just, you know, he would do it. And I would, uh, um, um, you know, work on whatever he'd tell me to work on. And I'd learn from him because obviously I had to learn this stuff to, to help him. And, uh, um, they, we would, we would do, um, all kinds of mods. I started meeting all these artists. Um, he just, he would pass on the aspects of the different work and I would do the work and, and, uh, it, I, we kept growing along. And then I, uh, um, at one point, uh, pig nose needed help. And he said, Hey, there's this gig working at pig nose that, you know, they can pay you a lot more and, you know, they, I, they need help, and I don't know his involvement. He came up with that cross mix 150, so he wanted somebody there to kind of oversee that. And I said, sure. So I started working for Pignose and working in in, in w with Candice, and and uh, that was that was an interesting company, that's for sure. And, <laughs> where were they based they, out of? Uh, uh, Van Nuys. Oh, were they really? Yeah, they were in Van Nuys. Yeah, they. Uh, you, you know. Uh, you know, the story is Candace worked at the ranch with Chicago and Pignos was a, a write-off that Terry Kath had come up with for Chicago. And after, I think it was five years or whatever the write-off time ends, they were going to just close it. Candace was there and goes, I want it. And she paid him some amount of money and took it and and turned it into a company. I mean, she she turned Pignos into what Pignos became. And uh, she had this factory with all these women putting together a lot of uh, these little little amplifiers, you know, by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And, and um, so later on, she wanted to grow and get into bigger amps. And they, she did the 30, the 3060. She did that with Quilter, you know, Quilter Sound Products. Mm -hmm. uh, and he did, he worked on that. And then after that, um, uh the the 150 cross mix came in with from Paul, but uh, but yeah, so I was there, and then while all this is going on, Paul lands the gig with Fender, right? 
And so now he's at Fender and I get a call from him from Fender and he says, Hey, I got a gig for you in R and D at Fender. If you want it. I was like, uh, yeah, I think I'll I'll take that gig. So I left uh, Pignose and I went to Fullerton and um, they gave me Leo Fender's original office in the bungalows. And that was my office. And, and yeah, that was those nasty little bungalows were, you know, that was fun. Next to me was Harold Rhodes and I mean, everybody that you've read about was in all these little bungalows, you know, in at Fender. And what a fun time that was! That was probably one of the most fun times in history because of the people involved. Um, there was this guy named Ed Johns that was their head engineer uh, for the company. And he was, at the time, I think he was like in his late 70s, really sharp guy. And um, if you look at some of those early uh, GE or RCA tube manuals talking about 6550s, Ed Johns was one of the engineers behind that. I mean, there's pictures of him as a young man. And Anyway, it became a thing where I would, um, every day around 3 o'clock, I would go over to his office and we'd sit there and, just talk about amplifiers and it was really a fun fun experience being there at at Fender uh, it one of the things i i noticed when i got hired there is they didn't have guitar players on staff can you believe that there was no there was no guitar players on staff so what they would do is they would hold these these uh gatherings where they would set up a bunch of amps in a room and then they would bring in all these musicians and all these techs with these whiteboards with questions on them. They'd go, so what does it need? You know, and they would say, oh, it needs more chocolatey luscious, you know, and they'd write that down. Right. <laughs> you know, or it needs, you know, it needs sparkle or it needs, you know, it needs, uh, um, um, you know, this kind of thing or that kind of thing, you know, and uh, then when they would leave, they would go back to the to the drawing room and put down all these things and and they would try to figure out what these artists meant by the <laughs> questions right and what i was do you mean by chocolatey spark <laughs> exactly it's like don't you, any of you play guitar like i so i'd pull a guitar out and say let's plug it in no this is you know and we'd start it was interesting cuz they they didn't play guitar there wasn't people in staff that that actually played guitar at that time and now it's different but back then it it i was like the only guitar player in r d it's kind of strange but um but it was that was a that was really a fun time it was fun getting to be part of uh fender at at that kind of when they were growing they were they were changing uh, you know they because paul had had worked on the it was the deluxe two and the um twin two and and uh the concert amp and all these it was really these really cool amps that were coming out at that time all channel switching you know Mm -hmm. so that was uh so i i during that time i i also got a big you know feeling of of corporate you know and i realized that that size of a corporation can't move 
very fast. That ship <laughs> moves very slowly. You know, you go to NAM show and everybody's moving quickly, right? It's like the, this new thing, that new thing. But when you're in a ship that big, it's like, well, maybe in a couple of years we can do that. And that was extremely frustrating to me. And and so this I is, wanted to this be, is CBS. This is the the CBS. This, yes, yeah, and, and uh, <coughs> so you know, so basically, what happened is while I'm doing that, I uh, um, I decided I came up with the whole Metaltronics idea, and uh, uh, I I one afternoon I went in and I said, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you know, this opportunity, but I'm, I'm going to go try something. And, and I, I moved from Orange County back to LA and came up with this idea for Metaltronics. And, um, I, I thought, you know, make a bold statement. So I put an ad in uh, guitar player magazine that said, I'll create your dreams, whatever you want, call this number, and uh, off I did put this page ad in Guitar Player and sat by the phone, you know. <laughs> every call, the call started coming in, right? And every call, I had to give a price and a quote right then, right? So, and people were asking for all kinds of wild things, right? And sometimes I'd win and sometimes I'd lose because sometimes I'd be working. I mean, I'd make nothing on because it was so much work and so much everything. Right. That, but I did. But I delivered whatever was the, the question. I did it. Right. And it started just building on itself. Like I said, out of out of a bedroom um, and uh at the time I was married, my wife wasn't really happy because my living room was full of anvil cases and, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. you know how that goes. But, oh, yeah. uh, but hey. that's, you know, Metaltronics, you know, ran like, I think for about a year out of the house and that's, but then I, I went and got a storefront that the one that would cross the street from, uh, Wolf and Rissmuller's rock concert hall that was there in Reseda, California. And that's, that's basically where I started Meltronics from there. I mean, for real. For real right. Know? Hey, yeah. if we, could we go back um, to when you were at Fender? Which amps did you help design? I worked. I worked on the Deluxe Two, the the uh, the Twin Two, the Concert. That's the ones I worked with with Paul and and the the R and D crew with. Nice. You know. Um, there was other people working on the Londons, the Salt State stuff, and the um, that that the what was kind of interesting at that time was Paul. They wanted him in marketing. He wasn't in R and D. When you see the picture of R and D, there's this classic shot with all of us with our arms up in the air. Um, Paul's not in it because he was actually in in the front office which was in the new building down the street you know fender had the bungalows and then there was the the uh um the main big factory you know the one that everybody knows of now which was further down the street and uh so yeah so we we all worked together on all the different projects there there was there was quite a few of us in in r&d i mean there's I think like 20 or 25 of us that were all part of that R&D group. 
it wasn't just, you know, the, s- some of us were specialized, like the guys that were doing the solid state stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, Harold Rhodes with the keyboard stuff that was with the crew Mars and all that, that was all kind of specialized. But when it came to the other amplifiers and, and the guitars and stuff, they were, we were all kind of in the same general area working together because we'd go from office to office if somebody needed something oh i got this idea yeah do this or you know check you know there it wasn't like that's mine kind of a thing it was just whatever's the best for the overall um for the you know for the product i uh i got a kick i i i didn't realize that you know fender's done that book 60 years you seen it fender 60 years it's a book about this thick haven't seen it anyway yeah Fender did this book it's called 60 years anyway I flipped the back in the in the what are the, the index in the back and and I'm on 16 pages so it's like really nice that I actually got mentioned in the book so that's awesome yeah that was really kind of that was neat I I uh, uh Ampeg did that for me too which was really neat that was a that's that's another part of the story doing the ampeg thing but yeah, that well, was after when was so that? You, move, you move up you move up you start doing mods by the truckload right by the truckload. <laughs> and uh and at, at the time uh, was there a couple different mods you were doing at the time or was it all the um it was it, it what it was was there was the core mod right which was basically ripping everything out and putting in tubes and redoing the preamp stage and do you know there there was the then it it branched off right if you did you want it channel switching did you want did you want features that turned on and off did you did you want you know effects loops and you know it, it you could we could take it further but the core sound that they wanted was the high gain preamp, right? I mean, that was the, 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 the core thing. And so what happens is, so the mod business is rocking, right? And we're going along and we're doing this, but what we're doing is we're promoting Marshall because all these kids are going to these concerts and watch looking at walls of Marshall's and going, yeah, but they'd go buy a Marshall and realize they don't sound like that, right? And it wasn't until I I uh, so what happened is people started wanting to invest in me. That you know the guy because we had one of the first computerized systems, you know, for sales. And so the computer guy that's putting in the 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 system, he's you know paying attention while they're putting the system in, and he's like, "Hey, are you looking for investment?" And this other guy. And, it, and so we, there was a couple people that said, hey, you know, can we invest in you? And, I, and you know, being a young kid, yeah, okay, it'd be great. And, you know, what didn't really vet these people out, which I should have. Mm. But I was just excited that they were excited. And I had this idea for a rack mount preamp. Um, it was uh, uh, this what later became the, the GP1000. And... Uh, I thought of a modular system, you know, rack guitar preamp, rack uh, bass preamp. And these guys came about and wanted to, to do an investment. And I said, okay, this is what I'll do is we'll start this company called Perfect Connection. And and uh, we'll, we'll build these tube preamps. And so we started building these tube preamps. And it was the only thing on the market like it. 
there was nothing nothing like it so the sales exploded around the world even uh, distributors that distributed Marshall and these other companies they took it on because Marshall didn't have anything like it so they didn't there was no conflict of interest right so there's pictures on my website with literally thousands of these things stocked on the floor um, in every room because we're building that many of them I mean it was unbelievable and uh, so that's going great going gangbuster go to the trade show did one of the biggest trade show years I ever done before with sales and uh, um, so then out of nowhere um, what was it uh, 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 88 was it 88 that came out with that committee preamp yes the MP1 or whatever yeah. all right yeah so I'm not exaggerating. You know, I had an area with salespeople, three or four of them, you know, phones ringing all day long. We had one of those maps on the wall with pins, you know, for the world, yeah. you know, we're selling to. And the, the ADA preamp is announced. I am not kidding you. Zippo phones stopped, completely stopped. And I'm talking, I had a meeting with the sales crew. And they are going, um, people want this new preamp because it's got 128 programs. Because remember, mine's got one channel. It was a one-channel preamp. It just, uh, okay. uh, yeah. And uh, so it was, I never experienced anything like that. We're not, we're not talking a slowdown. We're talking, it came to a stop. I mean, it was like, nope, we're not ordering more preamps. Uh, we're going to buy this preamp and we're sorry. And so there was the panic of uh, s sitting in there. I got a crew of people, right, that I've got I've to feed plus feed myself plus everything. And it was a quick decision. I was like, I've got to take my mod and I've got to build an amplifier. And I said, we're going to do it because Metaltronics is known for mods and amplifiers and we're going to... Uh, 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 you know, build, come up with this amplifier, put it in a in a in a package, and come out with the the M1000 because we had no, we had to just go. It had to be like, you know, late. And that's back in the days. There was no computer layout, right? I had a light table with the, the peel and stick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to do it all by board. hand. Yep. You know what I talk about. So anyway. Not to be, you know, lengthy on this is I basically designed the the M1000. We put it together, and bang! Again, we had a hit, right? Because at that time, there was no packaged modified amps, right? It was you you might modify an amp, but there was nobody that had an amp already built, ready to go, right? And what and, year is this? Uh, eighty eighty five. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. This is the predecessor. This was the, you know, I, I still remember some of your amps and cabinets when I started working with uh, Jeff Young. Oh yeah, Jeff from uh, yeah. Megadeth. Yeah, I remember he had a bunch of your stuff at one point yeah. in time. Yeah, we worked on both for him and for Dave. Yeah, because on the uh, so far so what album is when we worked with them on that one, and. Uh, but yeah, it was so. And what was cool is all the artists that we built the 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 uh, modded amps for, 
you know, came on board for the heads because it's like, yeah, you know, and we were able to, to you know, um, make, you know, start making that happen. And we started building amps and started, um, you know, Paul Gilbert at the time was his career was starting to take off. We had we had handmade all of his stuff for all the Racer X era. And then during Racer X, we started getting the the M1000s. So that was natural for him and Bruce to move over to the M1000s. And, uh, you know, uh, same thing, Zach Wilde, he used the M1000s. He also used the GP1000s going through, you know, 800-watt H&H power amps. Because when Zach came, to, when, when after we built the stuff for the album, we started getting the tour ready for the No Rest for the Wicked tour. And, you know, their stages are massive, right? And one of the illusions that you think about is that when you uh, um, are on a stage that size, some amp that sounds loud like a 100 watt is absolutely, uh, um, sounds like a buzzing bee in the background. Oh, yeah. yeah. It doesn't sound loud at all. Not loud at all. And he was on a stage, you know, and I, I would go to the to the rehearsals because they rehearse on a full stage, you know, the large arena kind of stage. And he would go, listen, he goes, that's, you know, even though they could pump it through the side fills, he wanted it on its own. I said, well, we can fix that. I said, but this is how we're going to do it. So what we did is we took the GP1000s and we drove 800 watt aside H&H you know, MOSFET power amps. Yep. And then we loaded the cabinets up with EVs so they could handle, you know, the wattage because now he's playing through 3,200 watts, right? We show back up again, bring the whole rig. And now when he goes, gah, 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 the stage is literally, <laughs> literally moving up and down, right? Because of the, the little volume. And Ozzy wasn't happy because he's like, I'm not ever walking over there, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. A similar thing uh, when we had Steve I on the show. He said a similar thing when, when, when he was doing the big stadiums. Uh, you know, uh, he goes the guitar tone was so loud it was just like unbelievably crushingly loud because yeah. it was all the power amps and the cabinets all over the stage and yeah. it is, <laughs> it is, it is. It's uh, it, it it's it's um, amazingly. You know, some of these artists um, are. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. So I have to get to uh, a question Michael Nielsen sent me when he comes back. I'm sorry, I'm back. Oh, no problem. So, okay. your, your, your Zach's wild story. So, I, it reminds me of a, a question that I've gotten from Michael Nielsen. Uh, who has a great channel on YouTube also called Big Harry Guitars. Uh, he said uh, he's psyched about seeing you on the show. He said, can you please ask him about meeting Zach Wild and putting together the Zach Attack Rack? <laughs> well, okay. So so basically, this is really actually really interesting. We're doing the NAM show, right? And, you know, just like you're, which it was, it was going on for me like what's going on for you right now. It was the big deal, right? The big yeah. show, lots of people, lots of, you know, you're walking, you know, you have your crew taking care of everything. I'm just wandering around. And uh, so all of a sudden, I didn't know it was Zach. He walks past me. And then somebody directed him, pointed him at me. 
and he walks over to me. He goes, man, I thought you were an old man. Cause yeah, I was, I was young too. I, you know, he's not that much older. I'm not that much older than him at that time. Right. And he goes, I thought you were some old guy. And I said, no. And what, what's really interesting is my, my head of sales, uh, who was Scott Quinn at the time was the guy who taught Zach guitar back in New York. Wow. Right. So he knew of that. So he was searching us out. Plus he had heard about us in the industry. Um, so he knew, he knew uh, Scott and they knew each other. So he come, he went and searched me out at the NAMM show to find me because he had just gotten his deal with Ozzy and he wanted a sound, you know, for his first album with Ozzy and uh, which worked out great because, you know, that was, uh, you know, we, we, like I said, we did a combination for Zach. His rig was a combination of GP1000s going through, like I said, H and H power amps, and then uh, the the M1000 heads uh, also being on. And we we used what we used because there wasn't a member again at that time. There wasn't a lot of switchers, but there was a MIDI controlled um, Simmons drum mixer that was available that you could pre-program channels through a through a I think it was Simmons made this high it was very high quality and we were able to then patch you know the different outputs of all the different amplifiers or inputs if we could only do input like it outputs of preamps and inputs of tube amps we could then switch you know and have so many turn on for a clean sound and so many turn on for a distorted sound, right? And then we had a third sound when he was soloing. He could then, you know, have more stuff come on. And uh, it, that, yeah, that rack, they called it the Widowmaker, was so <laughs> And they, it had to be moved with a forklift. I remember, you know, I mean, it's it was massive because it had heads in it. It had H&H power amps. It had preamps. It had rack effects plus... Um, you know, because we had the, you know, everybody at the time, you know, PCM 42s, all, you know, for delays and all, you know, anything rack was really popular at that time. And uh, so um, that brings us to Zach's guitar, right? So he's at, he's, so Ozzy and Zach show up to the reveal of his rig, right? They're come, they come to Metaltronics. He's going to play it before we before we take it to the studio. And uh, on the wall is this white Les Paul, who my head of sales, it's his guitar, Scott Quinn. And it's got EMG pickups in it because Scott loved EMG pickups. Nobody even knew about EMGs at the time, but he did. And Zach comes in and he sees the white Les Paul, picks it up, plugs it into the rig, and starts doing the songs that he's going to do on the No Rest for the Wicked, and flips out and says, I, "I'm because you know EMGs no noise when he turns the guitar down. It was they were high output. He freaks he freaks out about this guitar. Well, he then after they leave, he calls up and says, "Man, can I borrow that guitar to record the album?" And I said, "Well, I got to ask Scott, you know." And Scott says, "Sure, he can he can borrow the guitar." To to and I got pictures of him playing it when it when it was just a white Les Paul, and uh, so after the album, 
he comes to bring the guitar back and he's talking to Scott and he's going, I want this guitar. And Scott's like, it's like Scott's favorite guitar, right? It's his guitar. And he offered him, you know, cause he had a deal with Gibson. He goes, I can get you all these Gibsons. I'll give you in, in trade for that guitar. Well, anyway, short story is he agrees, which he won't let me down to this day. He still, he still says it's cause of you. I gave up my guitar cause for the company kind of a thing. <laughs> and that guitar is the one he painted the bullseye on. Cause he didn't want it to be like Randy. Right. If it was white guitar, he didn't want it time to Randy. So he had the bullseye painted on it. And that's, that's, uh, uh, Scott's guitar. And, and that's the one that, you know, he, history of, you know, where that came from. And, uh, so how, Scott, so how, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. So how did the uh, the his rig change from tour to tour? It didn't for a w- long while. Okay. Uh, you know, it, he he pretty much would would use that monster. You know, um, you know the, the the problem is now this is this is true. You know, we had to put a piece of plexiglass across the front of everything. Because he would, you know, during a show, go over there and start turning stuff and and not just play, you know, like just start turning knobs. And so what we did is we put plexiglass across the whole front, except for a little cutout where the output knobs were. So he could change the output level. Right. And um, but <laughs> I'm not I, and I'm not exaggerating. I would get a I'd get a call from Sharon Osborne saying there's two tickets at L or there's a ticket at LAX six o'clock tonight. Please be on what well, she wouldn't ask. Please be on it. And it was literally, I would fly to a location where they were playing. They'd pick me up. I'd walk into the arena. I'd get there at three o'clock, right? Whatever sound check. And I'd have to read. He, he had gotten in there and did something right. And I'd go in there and I tweak all the knobs back to the way I knew the settings and the show would roll, and they'd be go- they all be like, "Hey, they're all happy and pop." <laughs> and that that wasn't like something that just happened. Of it happened a few times. And, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, I've been there. What one of the weirdest things is when they did the uh, the live when Ozzy did the live uh, HBO um, concert, right? Um, Sharon requested that I had a complete second rig built right i mean complete exactly the same two of them because this live television there is no there is no hey guys we're coming back it's live right and so we built the second system and it had a big throw switch like something like frankenstein right that i had in my hand remote that if anything went wrong i could hit this switch and the whole other rig would light up it was already mic'd already ready to go there you know and i remember we got there three days before the the live hbo and there was a clock on the wall one of those digital countdowns you know what i'm saying where it's like yeah. you know 62 hours and then you know 24 hours and then five hours right and then you're you're i mean literally the television roll is like all of a sudden three two one live you know and it was like so I'm sitting there. It, it, you can barely see me, but I'm stage right, sitting there with my whole job was to sit there with this, you know, switcher to, you know, to switch him over if if 
but nothing went down. So it was, you know, it's good because it, the audience wouldn't have known, you know, but, uh, but it was good that I was there just, you know, to do it. But, um, that was, that was a fun time. Ozzy was fun. He was, a, he was an interesting fellow to hang with, you know, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it really, I'm serious. He, what's really wild is when he's on stage, he's a different person than when he's off stage, right? Because you've never heard him mumble when he's singing, ever. I mean, he sings perfectly, right? And I saw that happen when, when he would walk up to the stage, he would transform into Ozzy, right? And then he'd walk off stage and he'd go back to mumbling and, you know, it was pretty funny. <laughs> funny, I, you know. Yeah, it great, is. Really great guy. Really great guy. It was, that yeah. was fun. Yeah, um, he, he actually just came out that he was—he's diagnosed with Parkinson's. I think. I know that. That's yeah. you know, that that you know, he used to one of the sometimes because we lived close to each other in in Malibu. Sometimes I would take a plane with him. People didn't even know he'd wear those sweaters and wear the outfits. People didn't know it was him. We'd be sitting, mm -hmm. and it was really fun because it'd be like somebody hit a switch. Because most of the time he'd be really quiet, just sitting there in his seat. But sometimes it'd be like hitting a switch. He would just wake up and start telling me stories, you know, about Black Sabbath and, you know, experiences. And it's like, it, um, oh, you know, I got to tell you one thing that was with, that was fun. I'm sorry for bad. No, no. Keep but, going. Uh, we got all, all the time in the world. Right, people? So, <laughs> so I, I'm at, I'm, you know, we haven't even got into the Ampeg story, but. I'm at uh, I'm at Ampeg, right? And and it was it was we're 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 building stuff for Zach because all the artists came with me, right? Because it was part of the, what was going on at the time. Mm -hmm. And so Zach shows up. It's the biggest blizzard storm in St. Louis. It was unbelievable. And Zach is is hanging out with me because we're working on his new rig. And um, so it's the weekend and. Um, I didn't know it, but Geezer had a house in St. Louis. So Geezer was in town too, all right? So we're trying to think about something to do. And uh, and Zach's going, man, I want to go out, you know? But I said, it's a blizzard. I mean, literally a whiteout blizzard storm. So somebody had suggested, and it was hilarious, somebody says, hey, you know, there's a Black Sabbath cover band playing at this club downtown, <laughs> you know, St. Louis. And I said, Let's go. And he says, well, let's call Geezer. And I said, okay. So he calls Geezer up, <laughs> and, and Geezer meets us in front of this place. I mean, we're talking blizzards. I mean, it's, it's, we shouldn't have been out in it. It was horrible. So we all get – we gather together, and this band's playing, right? And it's a, it's a nice club, but it's got seating right, like in the, like right across the front of the staging area. It's stage is probably, you know – 10 feet away kind of a thing right so we we get up and we walk and sit right in front right one two three you know geezer zach and me are on the very first front row right and this band is playing black sabbath songs and dancing around the stage and it was at one point the <laughs> the singer looks down and realizes that geezer butler zach wilder's <laughs> Wow. I'm sitting there. I mean, it was like they stopped playing and they're like, 
you're kidding me, right? They're saying this, <laughs> and uh, and they and they were like they 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 were godsmacked, right? And and uh, they they're like, well, we, we you know they come down and they get Geezer and they get Zach and they say, well, we can't play here. You come. And Zach got up there, and Geezer got up there, and they they played the Black Sabbath songs while the other guy was singing, and and it was it was a fun night. The people in that club got a treat. It was that's, uh, that's awesome. It it was fun. It was it was fun to see the reaction because I could imagine if I was that cover band, you know, sitting there playing and and uh, oh yeah, seeing you'd, you'd I, my were in the audience, you know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That would be that would freak me out. So tell us about uh, your days at Ampeg. How did that come about? Well, uh, so let me interrupt real quick. By the way, Jeff Young is in the chat. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> and a few other people that apparently you modded amps for. Oh, good. Well, you know, Dave Marshall. Oh, Dave Marshall. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Dave's a good friend of mine. Yeah, tell and, him hi. You know. Um, yeah. Who else said it in here? There's a couple other people in here that said they got stuff from you. Well, yeah. absolutely. Anybody, you know, I, I don't mean to be so long-winded, but you were asking, you know. Um, no, no, no. You're doing good. Uh, awesome. So awesome. what happened? So basically, what happened is this is this is the depressing stuff, right? Um, so Metaltronics is doing extremely well. You know, for for the, you know, for the. 80s we're doing about six eight million a year which isn't bad for a tube amp company you know we're we're our sales are, you know we're that's not bad for that era we're 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 rivaling marshall marsh we're running ads against each other i mean metal Trunks and marshall i i did the built to blast and they and they did the a hand grenade it doesn't have to be loud to be great i mean we were like you know going neck and neck because i had a i had a lot of major artists you know under we're using our product on a lot of i mean just about every platinum album during the 80s was using metaltronics i mean it's you know um it we were definitely the the company to to come after and uh so like i said i had gotten these investors early on i didn't vet them out and without getting into the day-to-day stuff basically i had uh, a, a what they call uh, a minority shareholder conspiracy. They try to take over the company, and the public never knew. Public, we, we just all of a sudden one day, Metaltronics is not there, and right like when the engine's running full throttle, all of a sudden it's like, hey, wait a second, We're, what happened, right? And we got into this legal battle. And it just made more sense for me to sever our partnership, mm. and which was that's the easiest way to explain it. And we, you know, we 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 weren't one of those companies that fizzled out. We actually shut down at the peak of our sales. It just it was it was the stuff behind scenes that was going on, and it 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 ended. And so now I'm sitting in my house, freaking out, going. My God, you know, my whole life, it's come to an end. It's stopped, right? And uh, the phone rings, and it's the president of, Am- of Ampeg. Now, the president is not the owner. The president is just the president of the company. And uh, he calls me up and says, hey, because I guess the news ripped across the industry of that what had happened. 
And uh, they said, uh, are you available for to, to talk? And I said, yeah. And he goes, if I send you a plane ticket tonight, can you get on it tomorrow and come out and visit us? And I said, okay, I'll do that. So I get on the plane and I fly out to, to meet with these guys. And they said, look, we, we're, we're expanding. We've got this new division that we're going to do. And, you know, we've got this company, Crate, that's doing really well. So we've got all this financial situation going fantastic. So we bought Ampeg and we want to give Ampeg a, um, its own, like, thing in the industry. And, you know, would you like to do it? And uh, they basically said, I'm gonna, we're going to build this new R&D facility, and you're going to be a major part of it, and uh, we're going to build you a whole area. And, and, it, and, and you've, got, you know, you've got to your access all these people that, that, like, you know, draftsmen, and I didn't have to do my own layouts. And, all the, you know, all these things were, they were offering to me, and I said, okay, you know, not realizing I didn't really – I'm here, I'm living in Malibu – now I'm going to live in St. Louis. I'm sorry, but <laughs> yeah, that, a little different. That part I did not enjoy. Uh, I'm sorry, guys in St. Louis, but that was not the lifestyle I was looking for. But um, anyway, uh, packed up everything, and by the time that I got out there, they had finished the building. They had gotten the whole brand new R and D facility, and it was. Uh, uh, it was all ready to go. So all I had to do was design a new amp for that year's uh, NAMM show, which was the VL series, the VL1002. And because um, that was the first thing I did with them. Later on, I started doing crate stuff and, you know, helping them. I never put my name on it, but I helped, I helped design it. And because uh, it, it, once again, it was kind of like Fender. There was, you know, we all kind of, you know, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's try this. And you know, like um, I had, uh, I had come up with that um, that bias, self biasing with the LEDs, which then that migrated over to the SVT because it was like, oh, I like that idea. You know, and it's all good because you're all part of the team. You know, you're all you know uh, working together, kind of a thing. So, yeah, um, you know, during during actually. So I, I go out there and I start doing that. I'm really bored because there's nothing to do there. You know, it's you come from California. There's so many things to do every, you know, when you're time off. Mm -hmm. I'm luckily the, the president told me that, you know, you need to have a boat because you need something to entertain yourself on the weekends. And because that was kind of a thing that all the engineers and people of Ampeg, they, they would go boating on the weekends and we'd all kind of moor out, you know, on the, on the river and give us, you know, something to do. <laughs> Cause there wasn't, a, there wasn't a lot to do there. Cause it's either extremely cold or extremely humid. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not, it's not like I'd go in from Malibu where it's 70 degrees, you know, it's like now <laughs> I'm looking this, this extreme weather. So I, um, so what was kind of interesting during that time is I wanted to get back into doing some playing. And uh, I went to one of the local music stores and I said, hey, if you know of any any uh, musicians that want to jam or, you know, do some playing, I, I gave them my number. I said, I'm, I, I want to because I always have had a studio in my house. I said, you know, I'd like to do some recording. Well, 
anyway, a short, quick story on that is um, the bass player for Banshee calls me up and says, hey, can I come over? I want to, you know, so we start writing together. And surely what we ended up doing was putting Banshee back together. We we grabbed the singer and the drummer and everybody and just put Banshee, which was a pretty popular Midwest band. They were a big metal band. And uh, I, I had the horsepower of my amp, you know, doing amplifiers. So I, I put it into... Uh, at this time, it was right early on working with Banshee. And uh, so I started, you know, playing in that band while I was um, working at Ampeg. And uh, um, so then that that rolls us into Lee Jackson amps, because what's going on is I'm at Ampeg and uh, I realized, you know, I, I really dug them. They were really sweet people. But you're working for, an, again, a corporation, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, God, you know, I don't, I want to do this on my own. Right. I, I, you know, the, the, the corporate thing was just, it's a corporation. You know what I'm talking about? And, um, I do. So I go to the NAM show and I start kind of letting the word out that I might be interested in doing something else nicely. I nicely, you know, it was just, uh, you know, one of those kind of things. And uh, I got pursued, I got contacted by, you know, the golf club company Ping, right? Yeah. They were investing in all these companies. They owned, uh, they owned a Horizon Wire Company and Rapco, and they were investing in all kinds of stuff, right? And they said, would you, can we have a meeting? And I said, sure, let's, you know, let's have a meeting. So I met with them because they're based out of St. Louis. And uh, they said, if we gave you all this money, would you put an amp company together? And I said, "Uh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. (laughs) So uh, I know. I know. It was really. So I, you know, I I resigned from Ampeg and uh, I hit the ground running they built a fact they built a brand new factory for me bought all new machines you know cnc machines and you know we we put it down in cape Girardeau because that's where horizon was and they wanted to use horizons um office people you know their corporate um uh you know accounting because that's one of the things i said i said you guys deal with the accounting i'll just do the designing and you know we'll we'll get this going so we started the Lee Jackson amps and um, started building those, which was the XLS series, and started doing really well again because the artists that we had, again, moved from Ampeg over with me and started using the, the Lee Jackson stuff. And uh, that was really fun. Um, during the same time, Banshee started taking off. So uh, I w- because I had a crew, I could be gone doing the Banshee thing. Um, and come back in and, you know, work on designs and then have them build them while I was off getting to play music, which was kind of the best of both worlds, you know. I got to play and build stuff, you know. Yeah. So that was, uh, that, that was an interesting time. During that time, because Banshee was starting to take off, they were based out of Kansas City. So I ended up buying a house in Kansas City, and base and literally basing myself out of there and then driving into Cape Girardeau 
you know, every other week kind of a thing uh, to, you know, to check on things and make sure everything was going right. And if they needed me for anything, you know, because mm-hmm. once the crew was set up, it, it, they would just build it all. I, I didn't, I just designed it, you know, um, they do all the building. And uh, so that was, that was a fun time because Banshee was starting to do really well. And, and we started, you know, doing a lot of shows and which was fun. That was a fun time. Um, but, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, any, any other questions? Yeah. Well, when did, uh, metal, Tr- when did you migrate back to Metaltronics starting? Metal well, Tr- okay. So, so, uh, and I hate this to be a, a common theme, but once again, <laughs> it wasn't ping, but it was the people they hired. We found that there was something not going right. And, uh, so I had a talk with them, and they decided that it was in their contracts. They said, look, um, you know, uh, we'd rather just, why don't we just close this down and give you a severance, and, you know, you, you can, you know, we'll just, once again, the public never knew, always ship product, no problem. It wasn't like it was dying. Mm-hmm. It's just they decided it was better that uh, they wanted to deal with it their own way. And I said, fine, you know, I had no word on that. I couldn't say anything. So um, at that point, I could live anywhere I wanted to live. And I'd always used to come to Austin back in the Metaltronics days. I used to come to Austin as my decompression place, right? And so I said, I'm going to move to Austin. So I came down to Austin and... um, moved in and thought, so what was this what year was this uh 1999 i think 1999 right around there some i think so because it was yeah yeah it was definitely 1999 and uh i uh i had met the kempers who built a lot of austin uh i had met the one of the kids Actually, was a musician I met out in California, so I had connections when I moved here into town, and uh, they met. They had me set up to meet all these different bank presidents, and uh, I uh, I went in and I pitched them. I said, "Look, I have some money. I just want you to match my money, and I'll I'll you know on minimum I'll hire twenty people, and we'll start building amplifiers." And, it, and over and over again, I'd hear from the bank president, well, you know, we just don't invest in musical instruments. You know, if you made tape dispensers or something, you know, I was like, <laughs> but it, Austin's the music capital of the world. I know, but, you know, and it was almost like scripted. Uh, I heard this over and over again. So um, I, uh, I got frustrated. So I stopped talking to bank presidents, trying to get funding. So um, I heard about this rehearsal room called the ARC, Austin Rehearsal Complex, which was the, let's just say it was the uh, barbershop for the music industry here. It was where everybody came through. That's where I met the Eric Johnsons and, the, and you know, all the artists that you know of in Austin rehearsed at this place. And I talked to the owner and I said, can I get a, a room in here just to set up a shop, you know, kind of start back to the old Metaltronics kind of days, right? Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, 
that'd be awesome. You know, there's one in the corner. And uh, to cut through that quickly, during the time I was there, I met everybody. I got, this was early Austin. This was before Austin became what Austin is now, which is basically another Los Angeles. You know, it's grown up so much. But um, I met all the artists that we, you know, you know, you know and hear of that are based out of, out of Austin from the Billy Gibbons, the Eric Johnsons, you know, those guys, um, and, uh, became friends and built gear for them and kind of started that up again. And, uh, um, after a point, uh, because of the growth of Austin, they lost that building and they weren't going to restart it again. So I went and set up my own deal out in the countryside and, uh, basically, over the years, I put out a bunch of different products. I put out a you know bunch of different pedals, and um, I did this one line amps I called Four Knobbers, which were based off of what the artists in Austin, Texas wanted, which is you know EL84, little guy, only four knobs. You know, you crank it up and it rocks, kind of mm-hmm. you know kind of a thing. And um, so to move quickly, basically, I did that for several years. And had fun. Put a, um, I came up with that uh, reverb pedal, Mr. Springy, right? That thing exploded, right? I never had a product that I sold that many that fast. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one quick story. Is I, I developed it as a lark one day, and I let a couple people check it out, and they're like, oh, I want one of those. So I said, okay. So I started laying out circuit boards and doing that kind of stuff. And... At the time, I had one of those those credit card accounts that would ding when you know when somebody paid for something, right? You'd get a ding on your computer, right? So you hear a ding once in a while, ding. Oh, I sold something, right? Well, I remember one Saturday morning I woke up and I'm sitting there, and it was weird. It was like I don't know what time of the morning it was, but it started going ding, 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 ding and then went off like a machine gun and i was like oh no and i and it went on for a while because i'm thinking how am i going to supply that demand you know and it's like and it did that twice like it did that saturday morning and it did it on a sunday morning with this machine gun of sales and that that thing exploded i built a lot of those and um uh it got to the point where the, the chips I was using, um, the quality, I had to throw away two-thirds of the chips to get one-third that worked. And I even dealt with the company, and I proved it to them because I went to an outside testing laboratory and got all the specs and mailed them off to them. And then they believed me, and but it still, they, 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 they didn't change the chips. So I, I basically, it wasn't worth it anymore because I literally would have to buy, you know, 10,000 chips to get 3,000 that worked, you know, and, and it, they were really expensive and, and it just, so that, that came to an end, but we built a lot of them. It was a fun time, built these reverb. And by the time I got done with selling those, the industry started selling reverb pedals. So it was a good timing that I, I got out of it. Um, but uh, so to, to, to how Metaltronic started again, it came out of, I just put a word out on uh, um, Facebook, 
I just said, I just put a thing out. I'm thinking about, because I didn't realize, and I don't mean to be naive, I didn't realize the love and the level of Metaltronics people, you know, across the world. I just, I didn't realize it. I've been so busy just trying to, you know, get things going and moving them. And uh, I, so I put a little word out in Facebook that I was going to design a new Metaltronics amp, a new M1000 or M2000. And uh, once again, I got inundated. I did not understand the amount of people that, that sent me emails and contacted me and, and, you know, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was thousands and thousands of people going, yes, yes, we want this amp. You build this amp, make this happen. So I, uh, I, so I decided, okay, it's time for Metaltronics. It was, it's actually, um, exactly what, 30 years. It was like 30 years, I think, you know, um, one of the, you know, to the time that I uh, announced the uh, M1000, and I thought if I'm going to do this, it's got to be the scariest thing I've ever built, and it's got to be something totally different than I've ever done before. And uh, I, uh, there were some, there were some real uh, um, things that I I wanted to address, and uh, one of them, and you well know this by working with vendors is I didn't want anything to do with wood. I, <laughs> I'm sorry, wood guys. We have our own wood shop, so we're okay. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, see, with Lee Jackson Amps, I had my own wood shop, and with, obviously, you know, Ampeg, but that wasn't my company. We had a wood shop. But, you know, other than those companies, I've had to deal with wood vendors and wood shop people. And I'm not even going to get into the headaches dealing with wood people. And they are always, you know, they either treat it like it's a fine piece of furniture and want to charge you a thousand bucks to make a head box. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, which is horrible to the consumer because you're just trying to build a high quality product. So I attacked it saying, okay, I, uh, that's going to be off the table, you know, uh, it's it's we're not going to use wood right and uh so that became its own new fun thing because what do you do right what what do you do that's different what do you do so um i got this idea and i the metal guy that's been working with me i i said look i got this idea they told me it was impossible um, we got a guy in SolidWorks to, to prove it out that it could be done. And basically, you're familiar with like a Shelby Cobra, right? Aluminum, how they form aluminum bodies and do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I literally, this thing, it's, it's formed, welded, ground. It's, it, it's, a, it's an ordeal, but it is beautiful when it's done. But it is so much work. Um, that it is, it's it's aircraft loom that's formed in shape, and it's all helio arced. They just call it arcing, I guess now, but and then it's all ground down so so it looks like it's glass, right? Is you don't see any of the welds or any of the corners or any of that stuff, and then it's um, and then it's it's anodized and painted, and uh, it's really, I mean, it's actually lighter. The head box is lighter than a wood box. Um, but the amp's not light because I'm using huge transformers, so the amp's heavy. But 
Uh, oh, it's a 100 watt amp, right? The 100 watt amp. Of course, it's going to be heavy. Yeah, the chassis itself weighs about 48 pounds, which is not light, um, and it's an aluminum chassis too. But uh, so there was things I wanted to do, like um, you know, if you remember the the original M1000 is very Art Deco. I was really into Art Deco, and I I designed the lettering and the way the whole thing was very based on Art Deco. So I wanted to kind of like, if I'm going to go to M2000, what am I going to do differently, and how? And and what are the things I'm I'm going to keep right? And and the things that I wanted to keep was the the way the logo looked and the way that the uh, um, the way the knobs are reset into the faceplate and that kind of stuff that I did with the with the M1000. And uh, so I did that. And the other thing that I, that I did differently on this that I hadn't seen anybody else do before, and I and I know why because of the the sheer cost is I did concentric knobs, and they're oh, full size concentric knobs. So <laughs> so the front, so all the knobs and the every knob is is uh, you can set right from the from the preamp to the presence right. And so, so you had to order a thousand of each knob, didn't you? <laughs> They're all they're all Bakelite, and yes, I had to order ridiculous numbers of knobs. But the thing that really is ridiculous is nobody makes the pots, so I have to buy all the parts from CTS and build these pots myself. So the cost is is astronomical, but it's the end result is what I wanted, and uh, it worked, and it works because I'm able to not put a bunch of knobs on the face panel right and i'm able to to get two channels out of the amplifier but you know um do it with 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 concentric pots so that worked out really well and and i had come up with a new design that i'd never done before and you know how you draw on paper and you work on stuff over the years because i've worked on so many different different projects i had this idea and i thought well i'll try it you know and i threw it together and hit the power switch and I was like, yes, okay, I'm ready. This amp, this is the one that's going to be the one. And uh, I'm ecstatic about it. We, it's, uh, it, it's, it seems to be being accepted really well. The, the, the um, old Meltronics guys are, are praising it, that, you know, because that's the thing you always worried about, you know, did I hit it? Did, you know, did I, did I, did I get the thing that they wanted, and, and uh, I'm excited about the sound of it. I, uh, uh, I, I, you know, like the demo that I did on it, it was very simple. We just threw some mics up, and uh, and just recorded it. Like I said, here's this is the way it sounds. And uh, I had this artist, uh, Demir, who's uh, he's a huge star in Turkey. He's a metal guitar player in Turkey. I know, I know Demir. You know Demir? Yeah, yeah. and he's a uh, He's here in uh, in Austin, and uh, he. Uh, I asked him. I said, "Did you play guitar for, on this video?" And he said, "Absolutely." I said, "Great." This, you know, because I wanted I wanted somebody else other than me playing the guitar. You know, I was like, "Here, here's somebody else." And we're now lining up a bunch of artists that are going to come in, and I'm going to start releasing videos of other people playing. Because, uh, <coughs> but yeah, if. Uh, I have I have one here. I'll I'll uh, I have one sitting beside me here. If you want to see it, 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah please. I'm actually really curious about the head box. It's gonna it's kinda hard to tell probably. Can you see it here? Yeah, we can see it, yep. Yeah, so yeah, it's um so what we what I did here is this is all water jetted out, right? The 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 front aluminum. And uh um so the whole thing is aluminum, every piece of it. And like I said, there's aspects of it that I I wanted to keep like the original metal trunks had the sunken handle, so I, I did that. And like I said, um, it was kind of fun. I, I I'm I'm designing this new pedal distortion pedal that I, I've got Eric Johnson right now is using. That I I came by his place to drop it off, and I had this in the back of the car, and he goes, "Hey, can I look at that?" And he thought it was um, when he first looked at it, he thought it was a uh, black lacquer wood because it looks like. It, it you know it looks like it's all finished wood, but uh, it's not. It's 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 aluminum. You can you can hear it's aluminum, yeah. but um, it's got that's it's, very cool. Yeah, it's got edges on it. You know, it's not conducive for like high high volume because the amount of work that 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 I've got a I've got a basic luthier that sits there and and hand welds these things and puts them together. So. Moderate numbers are all good. It's that I couldn't do like like the early day numbers, that kind of numbers per month, because I'd have to have a, a, a crew of welders welding this thing. And um, I've I've thought at times of possibly offering it in a in a doing the same thing but with wood, like a, just so I can get the numbers up volume wise. But um, I don't, you know, we'll see. You know, as time goes. You know, I'll, uh, I'll I'll address that, but right now we're fine with you know doing it this way, and and I'm kind of I'm kind of starting off, uh, you know, again back. <laughs> I'm starting off kind of kind of I'm I'm actually enjoying this. I'm kind of starting off like the early, you know, Metaltronics. You know, I I I'm it's I'm doing this myself again. I yeah. literally I've got this really cool shop out in the woods and it's got beautiful win windows overlooking the woods i've got wonderful vendors like you know the people that are hand making me all the individual pieces and in which i then just put together you know in my place and uh it's it's actually really enjoyable for me because it's it, it i i've learned my lesson with investors finally <laughs> it's taken a lot of years but I finally, you know, I've, you know, it's funny because even with doing this one, I'm, you know, people are coming out of the woodwork. Hey, you want, want me to invest? You know, I'll get, you know, it's like, uh, no. Um, mm. I, <laughs> I mean, I'd love it to find that great partner that, you know, would, would be, you know, somebody that, that I wouldn't have to worry about. But at least when I'm doing it myself, I don't have to worry about that. And, uh, it's kind of it's kind of therapeutic, you know, doing this. It's kind of fun for me, and and uh, I'm they're they're coming out sounding amazing. So it's it's uh, it's been an overall really fun experience. And oh, well, one of the things I didn't say uh, during this, right before Mailtronics, I don't know if you've seen this, but um, that company, you know, the company back in the '70s that did the Univibes. Remember Univibe pedals? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're called Shanai, that company yeah. Shanai. Well, this guy bought the uh, the the trademarks and branding of that company, you know, Shanai, and he contacted me and said, "Hey, um, I've known him 
for a while, you know, doing other projects. But he goes, uh, would you design all our products? Because we're going to come out in a big way. We're going to reintroduce the Univi. We're going to do. But we want to put some things in there that kind of brings it up to date, like leave the core of it, the sound of it. But, you know, if you if you think of something, we want to do something. And, and so I got involved in that a couple of years ago and I, I uh, designed all of his, the, the, his, his thing called a vibro, um, which is, you know, using all these NOS parts he scoured around the planet and, and uh, did that. But what I added to it was a switch so you could bypass the the uh, um, preamp or no preamp because most of them you know the preamps on all the time so you don't have really a true bypass but you can have it if you want it the other thing i designed is when you plugged the foot switch in the the speed controller it would sense the pins and it would turn on the foot controller but if you unplugged it it would sense there's no pins there and it would go to a knob on the front so you could have the speed controller there so did that and that did really well for him. And then, then he wanted to redo all of his distortion pedals, so I did all those for him. Just basically kept them, you know, like they were back in the the '60s. Just putting little things like, you know, protection to not die if somebody puts a battery in backwards and that kind of stuff. Mm. And then um, about a year or two in, he came to me. And he said, "You know, Lee, if you want to." release something of yours in our product line i i would love for you to do it and we'll just split the deal with you because all the other stuff i did with him i'm just paid as an engineer you know like a project i just get paid i'm i don't see any residual on any of that stuff i just get paid Mm -hmm. he gets his product but he came to me he says you have an idea you know i you know i'd love to to see it and put it out and i said okay so I went home and I thought, man, I don't want to do a distortion pedal. This was years ago. I don't want to do a delay or reverb or any of this stuff. And during that time, I had uh, I had been modding like 1073s and AP3, API 312s. And for a lot of artists, Eric Johnson, all these different guys, I was modding their, their uh, you know, preamps for their mics, for, you know, the studio mics. And I started learning how that stuff works and what makes it sound the way it does. And, and, that, and so what brings me full forward is I was thinking, well, maybe I'll come out with a gain pedal. This, and, I, and I thought, because I'd done that gain pedal back in the Metaltronics days, the active gain booster. And, and I thought, no, I don't want to do that. So one day it came to me. I said, well, why don't I put like an API 312 or a 1073 in a box because I just love the sound of that. And if I preset all the EQ and, you know, and just basically put the knob on the front, you know, the gain knob, which you have on the preamp normally, right? And if you turn it all the way down at Unity, I said, so I started working on that. And the key to that was that this thing had to run on a plus or minus supply, right? And... So I started working on that to make that happen, to run off a standard battery, right, and to get enough juice because you've got to have a lot of juice for these things. And the, the second thing was how do you fit that many parts in a little box, right? So, you know, you'll appreciate this. What I did is remember the old transistor radios where all the resistors and stuff were standing? Yeah. You know, you remember when you yeah. opened back up, it was packed like every single square inch, you know? 
And uh, anyway, I did that, and I came up with this pedal called the big one. And what this is, I've never seen that. Yeah, th this is this is a like an eight thousand dollar studio preamp in a box, and I it, the industries it, it's hard to explain. It, you you all you have you don't even have to use it as a as a gain pedal. You just plug it in, like you know when you're like when you're using a a, a U67 or U47, and you're plugging into your console for your microphone. And if you plug directly in your console, it doesn't sound like that magical mic, right? But if you plug it in through a 1073 or an API 312, right, all of a sudden, the you know, the birds sing and the skies open up and that voice that you've, you know, gotten used to in the studio, you know what I'm saying? It's not an EQ. It's just bigger. It's got a tone. It's just bigger, right? Well, that's what this does is you could use it as a gain booster, but most people don't. They just set it at Unity, and you just plug into it. I've got, um, you know, one of the bands I've been working with um, in the last couple of years is in that band Sticks, and uh, Tommy and Ricky, the bass player. I think I've heard of them. I think I've heard of yeah, them. you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they, they they flipped out uh, when they went to Europe. Uh, like Ricky, the bass player, all he took to Europe was one of these and his bass. Because he, he just plugs into it and comes out of it, and he's like, "I I am completely happy. This is, it's 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 hard to explain." Uh, I'll tell you one more quick story. You know, you know Roscoe Beck, the bass player, Roscoe yep. with Eric Johnson. I've known Roscoe for many many years. So when I was just starting the the build these, I I stopped over his place for lunch, and and I as after lunch I um, I said to him. Hey, I got this new pedal. I want you to try. And he's like, Lee, I don't want to see a pedal. I, I've got plenty of pedals. I, you know, I said, no, no, Roscoe, please just humor me. And finally, he goes, okay. So we went into his studio, and I plugged him through this, turned it off. I plugged him through his. He he loves this basement he plays through in one of his bases, and he starts playing. And while he's playing, I click it on. And he's not really noticing I clicked it on, but he's really having fun. He's playing, he's playing, he's playing. And then I, I, I hold it out like this, and then I turn it off while he's playing. And he looks at me, and I turn it back on, and he keeps playing. And he looked at me, and he just shook his head, and he goes, he said an explanative at me, and he goes, I guess I have to have that now. It's like it, it does something where it enhance. It's not an EQ. It's not – it's it's – it enhances the sound, you know, just going through it. You know, I, I, I put it on the front end. You can put it on the front of your guitar rig. You can put it in the after your guitar rig. And like I said, you can use it as a booster if you want. It's got 30 dB of boost. So it's got plenty of boost if you want to overdrive. But this was a fun project. Um, I'm working on one more with this company uh, that will be out in a couple months, which is going to be a fun, another fun toy. Nothing to do with this, but... Um, they've been a fun uh, company to, to just. It allows me to just be a designer, you know, just design it, let, let them have it. That's awesome. Um, you know what? I'm going to get to some questions in the please, chat. Please, please. I've been talking too much. No, you're good. You're awesome. Um, so there's actually a question for Dave. That was a super chat, like way. Now, early. now I want to hear the pedal though. What's that? <laughs> now I want to hear that pedal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, what's it called? Oh, the big, the big. You just, 
big email one. me after this. Email me after this. Okay. I'll take care of you. Uh, Dave, longtime customer, wondering if the SLO 100 has the immediate pick attack and the in the amp feel like your amps, or if it's slower like a diesel. Uh, it's it's a different amp than my amps, but um, it would be more immediate than a diesel, for sure. Uh, yeah, way more immediate, but different amp sound, different circuit than mine. I mean, it you know, it's like comparing an SLO 100 to your amp. It's a completely, you know, it's a completely different amp. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's a completely different amplifier. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different beast. Yeah. Um, here's a question for you, Lee. Uh, Wyatt Willis, can Mr. Jackson elaborate on the Big One booster and how Eric Johnson uses it? He uses it with his acoustic. He 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 right now. Is on not right this week because he's on he's on tour doing the uh, the uh, Aviacom tour where he's got he's got Roscoe and uh, oh he's gonna kill me not to remember his name play you know uh, huh yes yeah, yeah Breckline playing uh, playing drums but he's doing the rock thing but when he does his acoustic thing like anything you plug through the big one I mean it enhances the sound. So he's uh, he uses it on his acoustic guitar for that for for when he's doing his acoustic tour. Um, I'm building this new distortion pedal that I've come up with that he loves for his his rock stuff. You know that that's that's something totally different. But you know you can even plug a mic into this. Obviously you have to put a high high impedance transformer because this is not low impedance input. But you can plug anything into a keyboard. It's got tons of headroom. You plug bass, guitar, anything on the front end. Very cool. Um, here's a question for you, Dave, from Joel Eakins. Dave, what's your go-to cables when you're building pedal boards? I've been using solderless cable for years, and I'm tired of the headaches. Yeah, no kidding, right? Don't use solderless cables. <laughs> Just asking for trouble. Uh, oh, wow. You know, so uh, I've used all sorts of things over the years, um, right? Uh, most of the time now, uh, I use a Megami cable, like a small Megami cable, like a uh, 2314 uh, cable or 2319. And uh, then I, most of the time I'm using square plug ends now, which you can get from, you can buy them online from Redco or um, Bestronics. It's another company. Mm -hmm. Bestronics actually the distributor, uh, but they sell them retail also. Another company that we're friends with uh, is Signum Music, Vinnie Moretti. If you guys want to get some handmade cables. What's that? Who was in the chat or is in the chat somewhere. Yeah, yeah. We'll get, we'll get to his question as well. Um, Nick H. says, Lee, can you talk about Paul, Gilbert, Paul Gilbert's modded Marshall he used on the first few Racer X albums? That was that was modded identical to what I did for George Lynch. Um, the difference is he liked fifty watts, so he we used to mod fifty watts for him. Uh, I I remember what was really interesting is is uh, you know Metal Triumphs was well going when when Paul showed up. He showed up. You know Paul he had just come from the East Coast and he was just starting to go to GIT and he shows up with his 250 watts and he plunks him down and he goes i hear you're the guy 
And that, you know, he was like tall, lanky, really dressed geeky because he just came from the East Coast. He never been in the, the scene yet. He just was going to GIT and he didn't play. He just dropped his amps down and s took a tag and left. Right. We didn't know anything about this guy. So we we modded his amps. And one of the things that we used to request, we had this area in the front where you had to play your gear before you left. You had to sign our wall and you had to play the gear because if you weren't ecstatic, we weren't interested. In, we just didn't build it. You had to be, you know, part of the experience. And uh, so, you know, a week or so later, Paul shows up and uh, I, and he was just going to come grab his amps. And I said, no, Paul, you got to play. So we we plugged in, plugged in his amps and picks up a guitar and it was Paul Gilbert, right? I mean, he was that good when he first arrived in L.A. And he didn't know it. He thought that all guitar players in L.A. played as good as him. <laughs> and he had no idea. His first band that he played our stuff in was, uh, was, uh, was it Black Sheep, which was the band that he played first before he put Racer X together. And uh, it, But then he put Racer X and... He, I mean, he launched so quick in the in this Hollywood scene because nobody had seen anybody play guitar like that. I mean, nobody played like that. I mean, Paul was in his own world, and he didn't he didn't know it at all. I mean, he was he didn't realize that that uh, he was that talented uh, compared to the people out there. And uh, so the mod, it was it was the standard mod that we were doing. I didn't mean to get on a tangent, but. But it was where we added a tube, uh, changed the the complete the tone section, the input section. Um, we would uh, we would work on the output stage if it needed, you know, to be tightened or whatever to make it have the overall sound uh, that 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 the artist was looking for. Because obviously, too, we would be working on whether you played in small places or large places, because that's a complete different thing too. Because an amp that sounds good in a large place doesn't sound good in a small place because it doesn't it, it you actually need more gain in, in smaller places than you do in larger places um, we discovered that early on that really super high gain amps don't uh, don't work really well um, in the large stages um, a quick quick real quick here is um, during the Metaltronics peak, you know, ACDC calls me, you know, to come down to the forum in L.A. because they want me to custom build them their amps for their next tour. And I said, well, I'm going to come down during sound check. And uh, Angus sets up his stuff and and starts playing. Right. And I just I at the end of it, I said, I'm not modding anything. Y your sound going through that that uh, uh, wireless system into those amps, into into that rig, don't touch anything. Mm. I, I seriously, I said I'm not touching this. You you know, you've got it. Wouldn't have made it better. It really would not have made it better to add more gain to his rig. It it would have it would have actually made it mushy. And uh, one other band during that same era was the Scorpions, and I told them the same thing because they did the same thing. They used that Schaefer. Uh, either Schaefer or one of the other pre's on the on the wireless is they just crank them up, and you know when those amps are lit going through fifty thousand hundred thousand watt PA's, 
that's the sound. I mean, it, now, it doesn't work if you're playing in a small club. Obviously, you need more gain or you could use you know some kind of pedal or something. Yeah. But anyway, didn't mean to get on too much tension on that. No, no, no. That, that's 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 great. Yeah, because yeah, what do you? Do? It's Angus. It's Angus. I'm not gonna fucking touch anything. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, you know, you know. The thing was, was during that era, we were so popular, and we were in all the magazines, and everybody's talking about us. It was, you know, we started working on album after album. It was so fun. I've got all these, you know, gold and platinum albums thanking me for album after album it was just it was an exciting time so a lot of bands started thinking well we just got to have this done if we're going to be in that circle type of a thing right and 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 that's for bands like that it's like no i i i did it because i wanted to help people get a sound i just didn't want to do it just to tear their amp up right i it wasn't um i remember you know, working with with Eddie Van Halen, right? Eddie, uh, quick story on that. Um, I'm I'm in my house. It was on a Saturday, laying in bed, and that's back when we used to have those tape machine, um, you know, recorders. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, yeah. You know, that's you know, what you mean, and and I, so I wouldn't answer it, right? And and it clicks and it says hi, you know, uh, you who you've reached, and. I'd never heard Eddie talk before, right? I didn't know his voice. And the thing clicks, and Eddie has like a little voice, right? And, he, and he's saying, hi, this is Eddie. You know, Zach Wilde gave me your phone number. I really need your help. Please give me a call. And I thought, it's one of my friends, you know, <laughs> having fun with me. Because you know how we used to do that stuff to each other. You know, call like you're somebody. And, of course. You know, and, um uh, so anyway, uh, I called the number back, and uh, Valerie answered. She goes, hold on. And it's Eddie, and he's like, hey, my number one amp is blown up, and uh, uh, I, 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 I need help. Uh, it's, we're doing this for Uncardinal Knowledge album, and, and the amp that I use is, is dust, and can you please help me? Well, at that time, I had this guy there's a picture of him on my website he was this armenian guy that lived in a, an apartment in hollywood and he used to rebuild transformers Ar take arson or something or uh, Ar Ar arson or art yes, yes and i've heard about him i contacted him i mean his house was something to just i mean he he'd bake them in the oven i mean it was his house looked like a shop right so um I, so Eddie had blown me up with transformer, but he didn't want to change anything. So I took the transformer, took it over to this guy. He disassembled it, put it back together just like it was original, right? Baked it, did all that stuff. And I remember Eddie bringing out these four, six CA7s like they were this gold. Okay, now here's the tubes. Because, you know, they are gold because you can't find them. Now put these tubes in. And, you know, only these. And I was like, okay, no problem. And uh, put the amp back together, which I then realized it's 100% stock. There is nothing. I worked on it. I'm telling you, there's nothing done to it. It is a stock Marshall. That's it's all based on that Variac, turning it down. That's been, yeah. that's been confirmed by you, Dave, John Sir, and Mike Soldano. 
all on the, all on this show. So, <laughs> think, so it yeah. is absolutely stock. Okay. So let me tell you, I'll finish this real quick. So I put this thing together, I test it, and I take it back to fifty one fifty. Right. Put it on the cabinet. They're they're all there. They're they're recording the album, and I I stay in the cut in, in the uh, you know the tracking room, not the, where the studio. The I stuck with the amp just to stand there, right? And he starts, you know, they, uh, he's, he's in the room and they're playing and I'm listening to it and I'm going, wow, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like Eddie Van Halen's, you know, amp, right? I'm thinking, oh, I destroyed it, you know? <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm thinking that something's wrong. And then I walk through the bathroom into his, the, cut, the studio, you know, and there's the sound. And I realize a lot of that sound is created after that amp, right? The pull techs, the, the the compressors, the the all the stuff that he plugs into that the engineer uses gets that sound of his, right? Because as you heard, that album sounds just like his other stuff, and it's that and that's that amp because I stood there with it as as he played, which was fun because you know he'd sit there with that cigarette playing and have a conversation with you while he's tracking not missing a beat you know i was <laughs> phenomenal player yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know but yeah i i hate to burst people because i used to get calls all the time well i want an amp like eddie's really you know okay well you gotta you gotta do this and this and this and crank it on 10 now good luck well, you know that the funny thing is is that jose made a living on amps that eddie never played yeah, I know. Never played. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, worked on a bunch of his amps, but that that that's the extent of it. He mainly worked on Michael's bass amps, because you know that Jose was one of the original Ampeg guys, mm-hmm. and that's how Eddie met him. Was that he would work on Michael's bass SVTs, right? And so they he started, you know working on eddie's amplifiers but not basically fixing them right um i don't know i don't know how the whole the mod thing came about but you know he basically came up with these high gain mods that that you know like i said it was it was you either went with mine or went with his yeah it's just down to a matter of taste you like this pizza or this pizza exactly and it generally and and here's something is or one of both well i was gonna say here's one thing that you definitely can relate to is it was always horrible to build two rigs for the (coughs) band because inevitably one rig would always sound better you build for two guitar players right Mm -hmm. same rig same everything right and it's not a case that one's bad and one's good. It's a case that one's exceptional and one's really good. And and one guy would always. So I hated doing that. If I had to build for two guitar players, it actually was better if they one of them used somebody else. You yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't have to sit there and go, oh man, mine doesn't sound like his. You know, oh. it's like because oh, you know transformers. Problem. Everything's different, right? Transformers, capacitors, pain. It all has different personalities, you know. And, yep. and it, so you, you, I know you've experienced that because you have to. They don't all sound the same, and you know they all have a different, different magic to them. 
Anyway, go ahead. More questions. Yeah, we've got a, a question from Harmonicaster. Pickup question for Dave and Lee. All other things magnets, wire gauge equal. Would a pickup with 10K of DCR have a third more gain than the one with 7.5K? Well, what about the magnet? Yeah. And what strength of the magnet? What kind of magnet? Well, I think he's saying all things equal. The magnets, the wire gauge, those things are equal. But a pickup that has 10K versus, would, would it would it versus 7.5. Well, third more gain. I, if you, if you couldn't say exactly a third more gain because you're right. A magnet's going to change it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if all things are equal, but no, nothing's ever exactly equal. Right. Right, right. So, a third more, it would have some more gain. How's that? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely going to be hotter because it's just it's just a hotter. Uh, it's the impedance going to change, right? Probably have more mid range. Right. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that's nice right now with all the the new uh, high gain amps is that you can now use you know lower output pickups so you can control your distortion, you can control your feedback. Like during the right at the the time that I started doing all the the mods, it man people were coming out with these ridiculous pickups like Mighty Might and Demarzio with like stacks of you know winding super distortions. And, and, well, more than super distortions, they were the ones like with the big Allen bolts on them and yeah. you know, talking about their, they 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 had like twenty four k right on the, the, the intruder or something the, the intruder invader. right yeah the, the invader. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whereas, you know, of course, if you stick it into a, a stock Marshall that doesn't have very much gain, it helps. But nowadays, it's a hindrance. It has no tone. Like, I mean, that's why, you know, nowadays, like an old PAF is awesome. I mean, the tonality is yeah, really sweet, you know. It's true. It's true. Uh, question from John Gerson. Uh, hey, Tone Talk, please ask Mr. Jackson about the Jackson JG3 heads that were available for a short time. That's not me. That is Jackson Guitars. JG3 yeah. heads? But yeah. you're saying heads. They were Yeah. Jackson Guitar for a short period of time before we went into court together, they, they had to stop building amplifiers because there was a conflict of... Uh, names but that and, wasn't uh, that wasn't grover though was it uh it was after grover yeah uh, yeah that figures it was it was after grover it was when grover was sold to the to the next group of people and uh they uh they tried they tried to shut me down and it went the other direction uh <laughs> they tried we went to court against my logo against theirs and I said, my logo is my signature, and it is. It's my actual signature. And I said, you have a stylized logo, you know. Plus, I've been in business longer than you, and courts agreed with me. And so they had to stop building amplifiers. But that was, sorry to say, but that was a, um, now, their amp was a copy of one of my modded amps, as I hear it. So in uh -huh. a sense, it's close, you know. Well. Interesting, but uh, but no, it's not me. Sorry. No, well, that, thanks for clarifying that. Um, so so here, Mark, we had uh, modern vintage who accidentally retracted his super chat, but okay. then is asking it again. 
uh, and he asks, uh, uh, are the JEL, the JJ, the SS100 worth it for the B100 Deluxe owners? Or can the B100 Deluxe do that? Uh, well, the B100 Deluxe can do a lot of that. Um, not the JEL uh, amp, new amp. Uh, it doesn't do that at all, really. Like, maybe the Plexi channel would do the Plexi sound out of that amp. But um, the other ones, it can simulate it, although it's not exactly the same circuit. Maybe the one that it can closely simulate is the JJ. So there you go. Okay. Uh, we've got a great comment from Everett, Everett Guy. He says, I'm playing my M2000 right now. Oh, Everett. Tell him hi. Yes, hi, Everett. Yeah, I, I gather he can't hear us if he's playing his M2000 right, right. now. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, uh, this is from Dave Britton. Hey, Lee, I, st I still love my Lee Jackson modded Marshall 100 watt with an effects loop you did in Reseda. Yeah. Oh, God, Reseda. Uh, and then Dave... David Marshall says uh, Lee modded my amps too, 1986, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what Dave Britton said. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm just going through the questions now. It was, yeah, please do. Dave, do you have any other questions uh, that popped up to you? Before, well, I'm just. Uh, uh, please, you just that. Here, I, I've, I got, I've got one uh, from Vinny Moretti. Uh, he says, Hi, Lee. Were you friendly with Dennis Kager? No, who is Dennis Kager? I he he has an amp. Uh, apparently, he passed away, but uh, Vinny has an amp from him, and he was he thought you were friendly with him or knew him in some way. You know, I'm sorry to say, but I might. I, you know, I've got I met so many people, but no, he's not somebody that I that I like is in my phone book or anything. <laughs> um, no, no worries. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm just going scrolling through. There's a lot. Hi Lee, what power tubes would you suggest suggest if I replace them in my Lee Jackson modded Marshall 100 watt head? I I'm really starting to like these Mullards, the reissue Mullards. I, I they can handle the high voltage. Um, they're they seem to be really stable once they're you know, especially if you get them uh, pre burned in like from. Like from Antique Radio or one of these companies that that do uh, tube testing, um, they they seem to be really really stable, and uh, I, I that's one of my one of my new favorite tubes. It, tubes are such a difficult subject right now because the quality is not very good across the world, and as you know, you know. Oh, I know. Oh, well, we, we've had long talks about this before. Uh, the EL34 Quest, what's reliable? Um, and uh, the Mullard is a good tube. Um, uh, you know, for, for years, the JJ EL34 was good, and then it was just, it fell apart. It was horrible. I, uh, I'm sorry to say, but I can't stand JJs anymore in any form and fashion. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, I don't use them anymore at all. Um Unfortunately, I do have to use a, an occasional preamp tube for the microphonic stages right. um, because you can't get uh, 
something that's you know in big numbers that's right right absolutely works. um uh, other than that i like chinese preamp tubes you know generally speaking uh, they've got the best edge on the sound. The best edge, yeah. So but we settled on EH EL34s because they wound up being the most reliable for us. Um, although I didn't good too. I didn't put the Mullards into production, so uh, it was a good. It's a good tube. It's proven to be really reliable. It's proven to be not many sets failed. So I'm happy about that. Um, Absolutely, that's a nightmare. I mean, the only thing, yeah, when. Well, yes. So you know, we start we we started with the JJ power tubes, and then that started failing. We went to Chinese EL thirty fours, and those when those fail, they just arc tube sockets. So that's a really bad thing. <coughs> so bad we left from that, went back to JJs, and those really were horrible again. And then we went to the EH, and we've stayed. You know, EH has always done a good job. With their tubes, yes, yeah. really, they have. You know, yeah. um, there's nothing. They're they're they might not be you know the flavor you're looking for, but they're safe. You know, and they they keep going, and that's the problem. You know, I mean, the the reality really is NOS. There's nothing like if you get an old set of tubes. Sure. I, mean, I mean, a new set of old tubes, mm-hmm. but they. It, it's there. There's not a comparison. There's. It's almost. They're 3D. There's a. There's a depth to the old tubes that the new tubes don't have. They might have the width, but there's this depth of like looking into the picture that they just don't have, and it's it's really frustrating, you know. Um, and and now the only thing that's available out there is the tubes they didn't want to sell ten years ago. Right, I mean that's right, what's exactly for NOS tubes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's dried up, and and good luck. I always say to people, I go, well, yeah, if you find a good set, that's great. But if you're going to have to change your tubes on a regular basis, and you're not just maybe a hobbyist playing your amp, uh, yeah, don't don't be doing that because you're you're not, eventually you're not going to be able to replace them. Mm-hmm. That's true. No, that's true, and yeah. and you're going to be really depressed because the sound, you know. I remember one afternoon I, I, uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to go pull my, you know, tube box out that I have of all this Bugle Boys and all this vintage stuff in boxes, which I can't believe a Bugle Boy now is $400. But, you know, I pulled them out and I plugged them in the amp and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, <laughs> it was like so different, like not a little different. Like, like I said, it's like all of a sudden you've got this width. But now you've got this depth, right? And um, it's it's yeah, it's depressing because I wish, you know, I wish there was some company out there that was really making like old timey twos. But I know, I remember talking to Aspen about it years ago, and I guess the, it's too caustic the the chemicals they can't do it, and there's not even a third world country out there that'll put their people through it. So um, yeah, it's. Unfortunately, uh, Darren D says, "Which crate amp did you did you design, Lee?" I did the Stealth series, the tube stuff. Okay. I did the Stealth series amps, and uh, that was uh, that was really fun because um, crate, you know, crate was doing really well, so they actually had the bigger budgets, so I could you know really have fun 
um, working on stuff. There was no limits. You know, when you're working for these big corporate companies, they they give you limits on on stuff based on sales, right? You only get this much advertising. You only get this much, you know, based on on how well the that line is doing. And Crate was actually doing Crate. It's amazing to me. Crate was doing incredible until Loud Industries you know, bought yeah. it. And uh, they, uh, for some reason, they closed it. I, I have no idea why, but it was a, it was a popular amp. Yeah, they were on fire at at a time. But yeah, I did I did the whole stealth series? We did head versions and hundred watt versions, and I did them with uh, four four six v sixes or two el thirty fours or four el thirty fours. So we did I did a bunch of different versions of of the stealth series. Cool. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, Everett Guy says, I was curious if Lee could tell me on my M2000 I just got from my serial number, which amp number I got on the first run. Serial number 200106. You got number six. I gave him number six. So I wanted, he was, I, he, you know, he'd been waiting for it and I wanted to get him his amp. So he's part of the first run of amps that, that are, that are shipping. So he's number How many six. are in the first round? Fifteen. Oh. Uh, we've got a lot of great comments that the, the amp looks amazing. Um, uh, there was a question on how much it is. It's forty nine. It's forty forty nine forty. It's 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 basically uh, forty nine fifty. Okay. Cool. Um. Let's see. Uh, someone wanted to know who's the guy behind the curtain. <laughs> Which curtain? Back here? Oh no, the the behind the camera. They, oh. <laughs> oh, over here with me. Yeah. Owner of the studio. Ah, cool. Yeah, this this is uh, uh, Studio Seventy One, and it's owned by David Gaylor. This is his personal playland, and he uh. uh he he's a musician that built this place and it's it's a beautiful studio it's probably one of the nicest studios in austin and it's not open to the public um looks beautiful we use it for we we do all the amp videos here i we mix projects here um like i said i over at i get i get a chance to work on projects which is fun um to mix from you know uh i got to work on uh 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 Oh God! What's I, I get that album ten by ten with uh, um, what's his name? Guitar player played with Sammy Hager. Uh, uh, oh yeah, Ronnie Montrose. Uh, I, I got I engineered one of the songs, um, "Kingdoms Come Undone." I, I uh, Joe Bonamassa played guitar on it, and uh, I was the engineer on that song. Awesome! So that was that was fun. Ricky Phillips from Sticks played uh, bass on it. Um, my connection with that was Ricky because I was working with Ricky, helping him do pre-production for uh, um, the uh, Sticks album, uh, their last, the last one that just came out, hmm. the Mission, right. and uh, helping because Ricky lives real nearby here, and uh, so I was helping him. And while that was going on, he was finishing up the Ronnie Montrose album and asked me if I'd do that. I said, sure, definitely. Oh wow! So that must have been before he, just right before he passed away, I imagine. No, it was after he passed away. It, oh. What happened is, 
um, Ronnie and Ricky were recording the 10 songs. And after they got done with the 10 songs, he was, he, he was diagnosed with the cancer mm. and, and he went and, you know, took himself out and, and it was really sad. And, uh, Ricky told his wife that, uh, he would finish the album. So what he did is he got 10 singers and 10 guitar players and they, none of, nobody stepped on his parts and they wrote all their parts around it. Like Joe Bonamas just plays a solo through that song. I haven't listened to that. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Great album. Uh, Sammy Hager probably does one of his best songs. He sings on it. And, uh, all these really eclectic people are on that album. It's really, it's funny if you if you go buy that CD, it's got a fold out in it, and I happen to wear this really bright blue shirt, and so you'll see me. It's like I glow out of one of the pictures. It's like, <laughs> like you'll see it's me. It's like, oh, there you are. Yeah, because Ricky calls me and goes, "Yep, you wore the right color shirt." You, you know, you're You'll be noticed. That's, that's like that's funny. But they, very nice, you know. It's been fun working with them, uh, uh, especially the Sticks guys. They're they're right now recording another new album, which is going to be released here pretty soon. That's which is, good. yeah, really good guys. Yeah, if you get a chance, check out that show. I did. I actually saw them live. Uh, it was them, Def Leppard, and Tesla. And, oh yeah. And, okay. And Sticks killed it. Sticks. They was, kill it. Yeah, they were. They were actually the uh, no Tesla was the opening opening act. Uh, actually, I think Sticks closed it, but yeah, they were amazing. They, I forget who well, closed. What they do, they they uh, they they alternate, right? Yeah, between, yeah. They were alternating between Def Leppard and Sticks. Sticks closing, Def yeah. Always, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's a question from Music Therapy Laz, Dave. What are your thoughts on the flat patch cables from EBS from Sweden? They're flexible and small and soldered, of course. They're cool. They work. They work well. They're they are small and very thin for sure. Um, I've used them before and some stuff. It works great. Okay, cool. Uh, Corey James guitar. Awesome interview so far. Keep up with the tangents. <laughs> um, All right. No, sorry, I don't want to talk too much. No, you're doing great. What might change on a non-limited edition JEL? Question mark. Uh. That has not been determined if that will be done yet. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, what might change? Well, probably most likely, if if it is done, it's probably going to be the cosmetic, and no signature and no no uh, certificate and you know and no red ever again. No red. Can't even custom order it that way. Ah. I did a Jake Lee signature amp at this NAM, and uh, and uh, it was wildly popular. And it's red. And all the limited run is red, signed and with a certificate and everything, and that's it. Done. Fifty <laughs> no more red for again. That's it. Um, so we've got a question from Modern Vintage. Uh, what do Dave and Lee think of the Waza tube amp expander regarding? Re retaining amp dynamics feel etc versus a cab particularly with complex bends and areas where the modulars fail well you know the the, the waza is is a reactive load into a solid state power amp if you're talking about just going direct with it 
I mean, it's your your guitar is still plugging straight into the tube amp, and the reactive load is reacting like a speaker. So you, you're it's still retaining its uh, your dynamics and your um, the feel and everything that the amp normally would. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how you're using it exactly, but it's quite a good product. You know, it's still a reactive load. That's the problem. It's you know it's. Uh, it's close, right? I mean, it's it's one of those things that there's a trade-off in, on any of them when you're plugging into a reactive load, right? Because what what the problem is, is with a you know with a real speaker, right? You've got energy going in and out, uh, you know, because a speaker becomes um, a basically electromagnet, right? Mm-hmm. And so you get energy going both directions, which the reactive load tries to do that with capacitors and, and inductors. And uh, so it's always going to be a trade-off sound-wise. You know, just like the the any of the really good um, high-end, you know, uh, reactive loads that that all the different bands are using, you know, out there. It's, it's better than not doing it to me, but it's not, it's not the same as putting a mic in front of a cab. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Oh, yeah, I understand you know, what you're saying about that, yeah. It's, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, early, on the early days with, I don't know if you know, but Aspen Pittman had his rack preamp to them. <coughs> yeah. You know, I designed that for him, right? And uh, I also worked on the, the speaker emulator that was in it, right? Yeah. And we worked with some people, I'm not kidding you, at NASA that he had connections with where we did a bunch of tests to see why uh, a amplifier, you know, sounds the way it does and why a mic and, and that's where we, we actually, we used some really amazing test gear to see how much the speaker itself does. There's two things the speaker does. One thing is it's an electromagnet so that when energy goes into it, it also, when it, closes back in energy it creates a it it creates an electrical charge and and actually comes back into the power output transformer right it causes this this forward backward the other thing that happens is the natural uh filter of the cone is an eq on its own right that it has a complex eq just for the sound going through the paper right and because if anybody's ever listened to the output jack of an amplifier, it's pretty hideous. It, oh yeah, it's <laughs> it's unlistenable, right? And it and people have tried putting just you know different filters and squared off and stuff, but you know the but Aspen was one of the first uh, guys to do a a speaker emulator, you know, system. And I remember I was on that team working with him on it. And it was, it, you know, w- how we originally did it, we had all of these, like, multi-band, e- you know, all these, like, um, like 32-band equalizers, rack mount. And we were sitting there tweaking bands and listening to it and then listening to a mic and then tweaking bands. And then basically just set up a, an EQ that, that just did that, you know, curve, you know. But, again, it, it's not the same, you know. Um, God love all these emulators, and I'm sorry to step on anybody's toes, but 
they they all sound great 2D. If you plug a real tube amp against anything, it shines so far past even the best of them out there. And I know it's easier to carry an emulator amp out, you know, on the road because it's no tubes and it's no, you know, it. it but it's not the same. Um, oh yeah, we 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 totally well, yeah. No, yeah. Not bar- yeah yeah we totally agree with it. Yeah, I mean, I've got a I've got a Kemper. I, we talked about it before. Um, uh, it's a feel thing. It's um, you know, it, yeah, the sound's getting better, but it's still a feel thing. The way you feel it, you know, you know. I mean, it it's you hit the great. You know, you see those guys doing like Eddie's thing. You know, sounds and mm-hmm. and they play their chords and stuff. And and if if when we go on a quick little tangent, mm-hmm. I came up when I did the GP one thousand. Um, I had built this amplifier in my test bench that we would test the GP1000s with. And, and Scott, the salesman, would hear me testing these all the time. And all of a sudden, one day he goes, why aren't we building that power amp? Because this power amp I designed had like 20% distortion. And it it had all these characteristics like a tube amp. And it really, if you just heard it on its own, it was it sounded like it made it really made the gp1000 sound really good and it also made a lot of ada preamps sound good too because they they bought them a lot I, I i was gonna i was gonna bring that up what where <laughs> did that power amp come from i own two i yeah. love that power amp um it's great it it is it's it's it was a unique idea the way that it's it's stable but not stable right it's like it it does this dance thing but what my point about bringing this up was I was at the time working with Steve I with the with the amplifiers and he you know he lives in the studio and I had just finished the SP1000 and I brought it over his house and I said check this out I said it sounds like a tube and we played it by itself and he's going oh man this sounds great he goes let's check it out so what he does is he goes and he quickly sets up two cabinets one with a with a, a tube power amp, my power amp, throws up mics, says, let's go back in the studio, and he starts playing and a being <laughs> with the mics in a closed environment. And it's like, okay, the tubes are obvious. <laughs> it's obvious that the real tubes are real tubes. I mean, you know, the other amp sounds great. If you never put it up against a tube amp, you don't hear it's it's the nuance that you're saying it's that that little change that that you know i'm just saying i'm not saying that these other amps are are not usable and and they're definitely usable to play low volumes man they're fun for that so you can play real quiet you know mm-hmm. um but yeah you but turn yeah. turn it up loud and then that's where the difference yeah i totally agree with you so i know dave does too <laughs> anyway yeah. enough about any more questions uh, we got a question. Um, it's just interesting. I don't know if you've seen the Synergy modules. Uh, people are like Metaltronic Synergy module. They're preamps. Uh, so that's it's that. a modular pre- preamp system. Uh, like uh, the old uh, Randall did it for a while. Then it was an Ignator product originally, and then uh, and now the company that makes all my my products um, with us is owns that. 
Okay. And 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 uh, you know, a bunch of different companies have done their own modules. Like uh, oh oh, so make them so like the idea of making a module for it. Yeah. I I'd be open for that. You know, uh, Randall contact. Remember when Randall was doing that? Yeah. Same they, concept, but this is kind of the version two, the better version now of it. Yeah. Now I I'd be open for that. Just send me you know send me emails and we'll talk. Just, about it. It's mailbox money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is is I I'm always open for for building stuff that people want. You know, I'm serious. If 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 I can make something that is impressive, that people go, oh yeah, I like that. Then I'm I'm completely open for it. So if you if we, if we could talk sometime if you want and talk about it anytime. Yeah, yeah. You know. Sure, sure. Um, well, I've I've gone through all the questions. I think we've exhausted the questions and. Uh, well, do you have any any questions of your own? Uh, um, uh, I um I how can people reach you uh, to get in touch uh, with you about your answer? Either through LeeJackson.com or Metaltronics.com. Um, there's uh you know I have uh, the the two websites. They both they both intersect each other with they both contact back and forth. Um, I've got you know the YouTube channel too, which is Lee Jackson. Um, but yeah, I can be contacted. It goes directly to me if you go to any if you go to the website. Perfect. And uh, cool. You know, I, you know, I, I get to people as fast as I can. I, you know, I like I said, I'm I'm uh, I'm doing all this now on my own again, which is is fun, but it it does take my time. Yeah, no, I'm but, sure. I'm sure. But that's awesome. So the amp is available. Uh, the pedal is available that people can buy. This pedal. Okay, so the big one you have to buy. It's just like you know, we were talking about. You have to buy this through Shania. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't. Uh, I designed it. I am on top. Of, I do watch over production, but uh, they are the ones that sell this. Uh, I don't. I don't sell this pedal, but they do. So Shania.com is uh, is is where you get that from. Um, or any. He's he's got a bunch of dealers. So I'm sure you can find a dealer that that. Uh, that sells it. Yeah, um, I'll put a link in the um, inside the uh, in the description. Oh, good. On the video. And uh, speaking of that, also I should mention our sponsor, Sweetwater. You guys should oh, go I go to Sweetwater. Yeah. Check them out. Uh, they're running all kinds of specials. Um, and uh, so Sweetwater.com. I'm going to have a link in the bottom if you guys want to click that link for Sweetwater and purchase something there. Uh, you know. You can use that link. Um, and let's see. Uh, any other things from you, Dave? No. I think that that was uh, – we got the whole history right from the beginning. Right the well, beginning to the I end. I wasn't boring. No. <laughs> it's not the end yet. It's the continuance. Yes. Uh, no, no, it's uh, – you know, it's it's kind of interesting, the, the industry. You know, I know it's becoming a synthesizer world. I mean that was obvious by what I saw out. I wasn't at NAM, but I saw the different people broadcasting from NAM, and and the synthesizer world is definitely big right now. And guitar, you know, we need another guitar hero, right? We need a guy that comes out and uh, is that, you know, because I thought about that. You know, I thought about that was like in the early years there was like new guys coming out every week out of the woodwork. You just a new sound, a new person, a new, new style, you know, and right now I'm not seeing that happening. I, I'm not seeing that, that player that's coming out and 
taking command of uh, of a new of a new style. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, and very true, and not turning the guitar into a synthesizer either. That's not really. <laughs> no, we don't want you, that. That's that's kind of fun. Like you see those new Gibsons, right? That have it's, it's like it's got a ton of things built into it, right? That it does I think 128 different effects and. You know, have you seen that new Gibson guitar that they're doing? Mm-hmm. It's, no, uh, it's it's built in a fire fire uh, body. Uh, um, it's it's anyway. I I'm just saying is that's not the way to go either. But no, um, I mean I I I definitely. Oh, I wanted to oh, one quick thing. So during the Metaltronics years, that my which is really weird synergy. Um, on the wall, the guitar that everybody played and the guitar I used to tweak amps from day one was uh, a white Dean that I got from from Dean back in the the, the late seventies, right? Or mm-hmm. like early seventies, right there. And um, it was their uh, uh, what's it called? Um, they call it now the Cadillac, but back then it was not called the Cadillac. But anyway, that guitar was used. By, I mean, everybody played that guitar you name it the the guitar players that we've been talking about they all played the guitar because it was the guitar you played when you tested the amps um all it was always on the wall and then when i went to work for ampeg i got this hair i had you know ampeg you know they own alvarez they had a paint shop wood shop i took it in and i had a floyd cut in it and painted red Mm. i know <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never touched the guitar again, which is sad. I loved that guitar. It sat in the case last year. Out of nowhere, this is before I even started building the the new app, right? I decided I love this guitar. I've got to put it back. So I stripped it down, took off all that horrible red. I went and found a beautiful piece of um mahogany that was the same grain as was that guitar i then took the guitar to my guy's metal shop and we milled the pieces of wood to to stay same grain fit perfectly in the guitar fill up all the holes lined up all the grain glued it back together and then i took it to a, a luthier who you know put everything perfectly back i had the original parts so the original zebra pickups and the original bridge. And the only thing I did change the pots to 550s, you know, the CTS and, and also uh, bumblebee pick uh, capacitors mm. and put this thing together. You know, because of the lacquer, it takes a long time. I found a chip inside of one of the pickup holes of the original paint color. So I was able to match the paint from the one hanging on the wall, painted the guitar. Okay. It got done one day before the power was turned on the new M1000 or M2000 mm. to be tweaked. So it, the, it was originally the guitar that tweaked the M1000 30 mm. something years ago, right? Right, right. It's all comes it, full circle. It, you know, it's freaky, isn't it? Like, I didn't plan this that it got out of the paint shop, done and assembled the day before the head was finished so it literally i plugged in the head for the first time with the guitar and tweaked it with the guitar so it was like to me it was kind of a sign that i was going the right direction it was kind of like "Eh, 
And it, and it was wild because I put it up on Facebook, the guitar, and I didn't realize the massive uh, level of uh, uh, Dean lovers, right? They were like, oh, oh, yeah, it's called an elite, Dean elite. That's uh, what they call it. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of, especially vintage Dean stuff. Oh, and it sounds absolutely amazing. It's like, cool. it's back to my favorite guitar again. You know, it's like, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. That's yeah. a great story. Well, we love it, man. Um, Lee, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, you guys. Well, make... I thank you. It's fun. Oh, no. Uh, don't need to thank us, man. It was a, a total pleasure to have you on. Amazing stories. Um, check out Metaltronics. Check out Lee Jackson. Uh, hang on one second, Lee. When I hang up, uh, then we'll say goodbye off off air. Um, and uh, well, okay. I thank thank everybody out there. It's, it's you know it's fun to talk to you all. Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, it's been great. I'm not sure when the next show will be. I'll post it on Facebook. Make sure you guys hit the subscribe button, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch soon. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you later.